This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello and welcome to a Wednesday evening edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Mike Bell, ninety nine. The game is here. Uh, he just spent hours talking about sports and talking on the radio, and he was like, "You know what? What if I just added a, so a little bit more into uh, into my palate tonight? What if I added a little bit more to my plate and did another person's podcast? What if we did that?" No. No, it's, again, I'm off the clock. I got a, I got a brew. Give a plug for our Hey Man Ale mm. from Maconey Brewing, and I got a cigar about to burn. So yeah, no, this is I'm, I'm down timing it. So it's all good, brother. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being here. Well, you know, Carl owes me a six pack. Just a heads up. When he was on last <laughs> month, he said that he was going to be sending me a six pack of Hey Man. And um, last I checked, no Hey Man anywhere on the premises. Well, let the record reflect. I'm head of marketing. He's head of distribution. So I'll, mm. I, I'll pass the buck on that one. But no, we'll get you some, brother. But uh, yeah, man, it's it's a tasty Is brew. It in we have just. It's the closest would probably be up there around Dawsonville. It has a little bit of hop on the back end. We had to maintain okay. street cred with the hipsters. So it's kind of like mm. a blonde ale. It finishes a little hop to it. So how did that process work? How did you decide on it? How involved were you in making it and what the taste was like and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, no, actually, it was kind of cool. The uh, the brewery, they came to us, their okay. ad agency. Uh, it's kind of like I describe it to folks. It's kind of like where Sweetwater Brewing, uh, if you know Sweetwater yes. in Atlanta, kind of like where they would have been maybe 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a mom and pop that is growing. And they're out by Lake Oconee, a little town called Greensboro, Georgia. But yeah, they wanted to kind of you know improve their marketing profile in the city, and so they 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 knew about us and knew about the station and said, hey, how'd you guys like to have your own beer? So yeah, we uh, we did weeks and weeks of tasting and testing, came up with a flavor we liked, and then we said, hey, let's crank this up to five percent alcohol by volume because uh, you know we've got a reputation to live down to, and. Uh, <laughs> And then ever since then, it's been really selling well. We did it draft first for a summer, and this is our third summer now. We're in cans. There you go. Um, so, how often are you drinking it? Like, what is uh, is that your go to when you're out? Are you getting? A yeah, you know, just, like my face is on this, so I'm going to order this. Yeah. Or no? Is there pressure? Not to, to bra- so? not to brag. No, no, not to brag. But I mean, I, I, it's a really tasty brew, and it goes great with spicy food. And because mm. it's a micro brew, 
it's kind of cool because it's like sometimes you'll get a little more sweetness and sometimes it's a little more hop. That's what's kind of, you know, neat about it. But yeah, man, that's uh, a, <laughs> it's, it's definitely my go-to. Uh, I'm a brown liquor man as well, like most uh, folks who live in the South. But yeah, it's it's a tasty brew and we're, we're really proud of it. I'm not a, not a brown brown liquor not a whiskey person at all never got into that what don't you live in tennessee i think that like state law well i just left atlanta like i was living downtown <laughs> um, in your neck of the woods that's where i'm from um i just okay. moved up here for grad school so i haven't been up here long but um yeah no I, it's just brown liquor has just never been my thing it never sits right with me i always i don't know it's just not my thing but it's weird because i like i love tequila that i can do but like i like i skipped over whiskey not a wow. vodka person love wine Love a good red, but uh, right, and then right. obviously beer. I'm drinking uh, a Miller High Life as we're recording, and people okay. give me shit because I am a very, very cheap beer kind of person. No, man, look, there, there's like the uh, we, you know the champagne of beers you can never go wrong with. You know oh, what I mean? I'm that's, glad that's you know that you understand. Yeah, you you get that's it. a classic. No, I mean like no, look, I do think the PBR phenomenon can be overbearing because you'll mm. see the hipsters with that. It's like, come yeah. on, dude, you're trying so hard. You know what I mean? With your little, you know, with the, with the skinny jeans with them rolled up and your little handlebar mustache and your PBR. I mean, come on, who you try to who you try to impress, Ace? I have but a bartender no, I mean, buddy of mine who only drinks Miller or uh, PBR when he's out, but he's a really great bartender and he makes all these different drinks and he can make any kind of cocktail in the world but i've literally never seen him drink anything other than a pbr out ever it is funny because a lot of guys at least a lot of guys i know who are made it in radio we started out uh, when you start out working in the radio business you don't make any money so you got to work three or four part-time jobs yep. and bartending because the hours is obviously the best but i do get a kick when you're in a bar you know it could be anywhere it can be in midtown we're up in nashville for the start of the united season back in february and it's funny because there's two kind of bars you have like the regular bartender then you have the mixologist because when we were when i was young when I was like 19 and 20, you, you could not take three minutes to garnish your drink with some smoked orange. Okay. You've got to, you had to turn and burn, baby. It was like, you know, three vodka sodas in a plastic cup and boom, boom, boom. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a great way to kind of set you up for a, a career in radio because you're interacting with people, you're BSing, you're having some fun, trying to be uh, charming to make some tip money. There you go. Did you do that? Were you a bartender early? Yeah, in your bar- t- I bartended in New York. Uh, in Washington, D.C. when I worked for a rock station there. And I, I, even when I worked in Miami for a big station, I used to pick up some shifts at a bar called The Clevelander, where uh, you see if you watch, ever watch Dan Levitard mm-hmm. uh, do his show on ESPN, that's that's the bar right there on Ocean Drive and 10th. Interesting. Okay. So how long have you been in Atlanta now? 22 years. It was 22 years actually last month in July. Okay. Um, what Do you miss anything at all about bouncing around, or has Atlanta just been – is there a, like a thing that you were just like, I'm staying here? Yeah, and it, you know, it's funny because when, you, when you're in radio and I, you don't really get to start well, – some guys do. Some guys are lucky. Get to start on the talk side. Mm. Um, most of us work on the music side. My partner, uh, Carl, and I, we came up on the music side and uh, like top 40 rock stations. Mm. And, uh, and then I did a little bit of TV when I worked in Fort Myers, and I did some TV sports. And uh, but when I came to Atlanta, I thought it'd be another stop, maybe two or three years. And next thing you know, you look up and you've been <laughs> you've been here two decades. But it's uh, it just felt it's funny because I've seen the city grow up. I've grown up. You find your own voice. You know, you get more confident in what you're doing. And uh, I worked at a station that doesn't exist anymore called 790 The Zone. Mm-hmm. That was just a, a just a lot of fun to work for. Uh, a lot of great people. Just totally seat of your pants. It was like the Pirates of the Caribbean compared to like corporate radio <laughs> that you hear a lot of around the around the country. But anyway, yeah, Atlanta became home, and now and then once you establish your brand, it's like, well, shoot, you might as well stay here because you got some juice. 
What is the hardest part about doing the kind of show that you do every week with just the length? I wonder about the time because you guys are on for a long period of time, Monday through Friday. What's the hardest part about that? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're a five-hour show, but I, I know it sounds trite, but you know, when you really enjoy the guy you work with, and uh, and we have segments, we have we, we usually have that one guy talk segment per hour or every other hour, so it's not just hardcore, hardcore sports. Mm. Obviously, it's been COVID-related, so it's just, you know, it's just talking life. You know, in addition now to that, the sports is fired up or trying to fire up. But uh, no, I, honestly, there's uh, because and, and not to sound like <laughs> this sound like a tool, but when you when you when you do well, it's a catch twenty two. When the show is successful and has good ratings, you get longer commercial breaks because advertisers want to spend more money on it. So we do actually have a lot of commercials, and we appreciate the listeners when they hang through those. And as we like to joke, our commercials are more entertaining than other stations' content. But you do get a bit of a breather. You you do get it, especially working from home. I mean, it's it's definitely easier. And in the studio, I like to run around the office and, you know, just kind of keep busy. So it, honestly, brother, it's long answer to a short question, Chase. But no, I, I've, I've never had a problem because I talk. If I wasn't doing this, I'd be selling cars or bartending and talking somebody's ears off some other way. Interesting. Have you ever sold cars? <laughs> no, no. But I just when I was a little kid, uh, I was always, always the big mouth. So my mom, okay. everybody knew it. Uh, we had our 30 year reunion for high school a couple of years ago up in Long Island where I grew up. And uh, a lot of our teachers, we have a great relationship. We had a lot of younger teachers when we were kids and we all stayed in touch and are reconnected through things like Facebook. And uh, it was so funny because my old I got my high school football coach. He listens online. Uh, I got my old baseball coach. He's retired in Florida. He listens online. So they'll be texting me during the show. It's like, good interview. Or that was a stupid question. So <laughs> it's kind of fun. But they always knew I'd be doing a, doing something where I was a big mouth. What is uh, in, in your in – your, uh, but let me give it – let's do this a two-parter. Growing up, when did you get in the most trouble for the lack of filter and just going off and then uh, in your radio career where you're like, oh, this is uh, – the personality <laughs> has gotten me in trouble because I have been there. I have been in a filter-related yeah. uh, incident um, multiple times in my life. No, I used to do because as part of being a big mouth, I just threw the morning announcements in school. And uh, okay. we had the, we were we were developing a rock show like a, like back. I'll give you some context for the the time. This was back in like eighty five, eighty six. So you had Live Aid, you had Farm Aid. Everything was a hype with the prefix Aid. And so we said, let's have Prom Aid. We come up with a a show to raise some money to you know mitigate the cost of the prom, the band, the venue, all that stuff. And I was in the student council, and I was on the announcements in the morning show, and I basically did like a. <laughs> Like a 30 minute, 30 minute, 30 second commentary. I go, and don't forget to get your tickets for the rock show. Although Dr. So-and-so is being a real dick about it and we can't get this. And we really, oh my God. so yeah, on the PA and then needless to say, he came in and I got suspended for a couple of days, but it was kind of fun. First time to really get your opinion over, a, you know, a, yeah, into, in front of an audience, I guess, for lack of a better word. Interesting. Okay. Well, what about <laughs> in the 22 years in Atlanta? What about that? Has there been no, I mean, I won't, like I won't, immediately were just like, oh, damn. <laughs> No, the most trouble I've ever gotten into the radio. I mean, it's funny. You can say terrible things or things that people don't appreciate or find off color. But when you see in Twitter, social media is where I had my, my big moment. I, mm -hmm. I made some comments about uh, Jessica Mendoza, who at the time was the first female baseball announcer. And needless to say, I said some regrettable things about that. But when you put it in black and white or in digital on, you know, on social media – it's there for everyone to see. And with a yeah. screen catch, you can, you know, and you can argue about it or eventually you'll take it down. But that was, that's the, it wasn't really anything on the air. It was just me being a knucklehead on Twitter, you know, but uh, that's, that's it for me. Twitter is the worst. 
I don't know. I, I don't like it at all. I feel trapped. Um, you're more of an active <laughs> tweeter than I am. I My Twitter is literally just promotion. That is where I go to get my stuff out, and then I leave Twitter. I am a lurker. I'll read stuff, and I just... When I tweet, like, an opinion or a thought I have, like, I'll look back at it, like, an hour later, and I'm just like, ugh, I don't know. Do I need this out there for days on end? It's just like a – I look at every tweet that's non-promotion for me as, like, a drunk te- text message looking back on it the next day of, like, oh, is that what I sent? Why did I send that? I, I wish I could undo that. That's how I look at every single tweet. No, I mean, it's uh, our producer, uh, Squid Billy, uh, Bo's real country. He's like, I'll tell you what, man, the name t- Twitter's a cesspool. And it, yeah, it can get sideways in a, in a millisecond. And it's tough. And obviously, everything is is so charged these days. And you're not going to, like, whatever, however many cat- uh, characters it is on Twitter, you're not going to sway somebody to your side of the argument. No. And it, you know, it just degenerates into name calling. And, you know, it just, so my my joke is, Carl, my partner laughs because obviously that's it. I quit Twitter. I probably quit Twitter like five times a month. Mm. But, uh, uh, but again, I, it is kind of fun because if you th- if you have something you think is funny or snappy, it's almost like uh, when you do stand up comedy, you want to get like that instant gratification of the likes, yeah. <laughs> you know. And uh, in some cases, you know, to your point though, it's kind of cool just to you know see what other people around the country are saying. I'm too old for Instagram, man. I'm 51. You know, I mean, I'm not. You know, that's that's not my bag. So I'm on as we joke around because I'm on she's the Twitter a older than you. Um, I just need to let her know that she's a little. Uh, I love you, mom, but uh, yeah, just, uh, it's not great. No, the Grammy. I mean, you get in trouble in the Grammy because women start coming at you, and then next thing oh, you know, your wife's like, "Don't worry about that." <laughs> <laughs> well, which, whichever way you're Peter Teeters or whatever. Oh no, I'm not saying not. that. I'm saying that uh, <laughs> the sports podcaster is not exactly the same level of Instagram influence attraction that uh, an NBA player might have. I'm going to say that we're on different levels. Ah, it is funny though. My wife, she we always joke around. Like when we 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 have season tickets uh, for the Falcons and uh, for United, and we'll go to about ten or twelve Braves games a year. And I, I don't sit in the press box because that's just jive to me. I, mm-hmm. I'd like to. I know it sounds silly, but I, we really do live the gimmick. Carl and I like to just be out there with the, with the regular fans because we are regular fans ourselves. But my wife always jokes around like a woman will come up. He must have people talking to him all the time. She's like, yeah, it's dudes. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a it's a sausage fest when you work in talk radio. You don't have to worry about anybody, but but guys trying to corner you. Do you like talking with fans? Do you like talking sports with fans and people you run into out like when you're off the clock and you're just trying to have dinner with your wife or you're out on the weekend and the game's on and they figure out what you do for a living when they they have a bunch of follow-up questions? Because like what you and I do is like the fantasy for a lot of guys who hate their office jobs. So a moment to like connect with somebody, they're like, oh my God, what do you think about blah, blah, blah. And I always feel guilty because I hate it. And I was talking to Matt Wyatt um, last night of ESPN Radio, former Mississippi State quarterback, great guy. And I asked him because I was curious about this and that I don't think former players enjoy talking about the game with fans, even smart analysts. I think because they're just so more advanced and they just know what plays coming. And we were talking about how like every quarterback can do what Tony Romo can do. He just does it with more charisma and it just, he, there's just something about him that makes it a little bit different, but every right. other quarterback, if you played in the league or you played college can read a defense and can tell you what the coverages are and what play is coming. Like it's not an exclusive Tony Romo thing. And I asked him, I was like, do you enjoy watching it with like family and stuff? Because you know they look at you and you look at the game completely different. He's like, honestly, I hate it. Like he doesn't like watching the game with other people. And that's how I feel when I talk to just casual sports fans who are accountants by day or whatever. Like I feel guilty because I get annoyed. I'm just like, I don't really want to talk about it. I, it's just I, I, no, nothing it's- personal. I just I'm, I don't want it. 
No, it's true. It's uh, I worked with a guy, Dave Archer, for years before that. Uh, I worked with David Pollack, you know, and even even Pollack, you know, as a defensive lineman, you know, he right. sees it from a completely different perspective. But, you know, w- if we were on the road, uh, in, you know, either in covering a football game or whatever the sporting event was, and you know, if you happen to be in a restaurant or a bar and he's like, oh, no, that's not going to work. That's cover three. And then, you know, it, there's there's the lingo, but the able to be able to communicate because I didn't really know what Tony Romo was going to be on television. I didn't really know. And I think he blew everybody away. You know, there's kind of a self-depreciative way he does it and or depreciated way he does it. It's I, it's entertaining. You know, it's fun. But it, it, he's kind of found a way to do it that really, I don't know, it doesn't doesn't take away from my viewing experience. Although I think some people feel like he's given away too much secrets, too much information. No, he also just makes it better. Like Hudson Mason's like this, too. And I had like they're just savants. Like a lot of these quarterbacks, they just it's amazing what they retain and stuff they still remember from playing years and years ago and i just it feels like you're learning something when you're watching a but no, broadcast we but we always laugh i mean look for for our jobs like you know we're not we're not ex i mean the, as far as i got in at football was as a long snapper for my high school team because i was the only guy that could do the upside down spiral mm. but as far as but can as you far still as, do like, this oh we do it uh <laughs> did it in falcons a couple of years ago i guess i can still i can still snap a laser 15 yards okay man. Yeah, but no, we we joke around. Like, if people don't want to talk sports with us, then something's wrong because then obviously you got no listeners. Right. And even though, as we said, in, in the grand scheme of lo- local people of interest, we'd be like a, a Z level, you know, celebrity. But yeah, I don't. It's you know what's funny is that like everything else in sports or life, you got people that are fun to talk to, and then people that are not fun to talk to. Yeah. So you get the you get the one guy that corners you at the bar, and I, I couldn't imagine if you were like a really big star where you get like on sports, you get that guy, and it's like, all right, man, hey, you use those transitional phrases hey man we'll really appreciate you listening man thanks so yeah. much well let, well let me let me let me ask you this do you, do you think the braves are going to go after a second basement <laughs> it's like oh god so yeah i think to, long answer to a Thanksgiving's short question a nightmare for me i don't know yes, if it's like to a real. point thanksgiving right, is to a nightmare point. Um, no actually i spent i spent thanksgiving down here i got a buddy okay so you're whole, avoiding the, whole... the full family questions and everything else where it's no just no like, we, oh chase no. what do you think about blah and i get cornered all the time <sighs> No, I've got a buddy. We have like this sort of extended family of uh, uh, expatriate New Yorkers, uh, expats who live in uh, Metro Atlanta. And I've got a fireman, fireman Ken from Long Island. So he actually gives me more commentary. He's like, I don't think the Falcons got this, buddy boy. And he's giving me his breakdown. So I, I can just be Switzerland and just take it all in and not have to have an opinion. It's nice. It's refreshing. When you were, um, and then I'll, I have some Atlanta stuff I want to ask you and some Carl Duke's sure. questions because I asked Carl about you. He gave some Uh-oh. stories about you. But, um, um, I just when you were dating, this is before the back when you were a bachelor. This right. is something I'm curious about. Um, did you care if the woman that you were dating or the person you ended up with was into sports because of how much of your life revolves around sports? Was that something that factored factored in um, to the dating game for you? Because I'm the opposite, where I just I don't want it at all. I'm not really all that enthused about it. Mm. No, I think, you know, I, I think for most guys in the business, you do want to decompress and right. you, you would prefer to not go to have to talk about sports. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if the girl likes sports or not, and if, you know, most women you're going to meet in Atlanta, you know, whether they're SEC or ACC, like if you're if, if you're if you're a woman from the Northeast, you love pro football over college. But either way, you love sports. Mm-hmm. But no, it was never a, it was never a prerequisite, you know, and in some cases, if the girl had no interest in sports, it would be refreshing. Right. I I don't know. I, there's not a right answer because I've dated both sides of the 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 coin here where it works i guess it ultimately just depends on the person but um yeah i don't know i've always gone back and forth on that because like my best friends in my life are not sports guys really like they played sports and everything else like that but 
that's not we're we're not friends because of that. You know what I mean? Because they bring different things to the table and we can just go out and have fun and they're not going to ask me about blah or I don't have to think about are they friends with me because they like my podcast or because <laughs> they uh think I'm going to go and be uh, like the next Bill Simmons or something. Like that um is not something I'm all that enthused about. Um, the most. <laughs> now, now, by the way, oh yeah, go I ahead. did. I did. I will say this though, but I did. My wife. I waited. That you used to talk about, you know, growing up in Atlanta and then living in Buckhead. I got to uh, Atlanta uh, just in time for. I missed the Olympics. I got here in '98, but it was still. I mean, it was still a fantastic, fun town. Old Buckhead was still Buckhead. And oh, you know, bouncing have to around. Past Buckhead story, by the way. Oh no, I, no, it just won't. It was well. I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll give you one anecdote, but I'm just, okay. what I was point. Point I was getting to my wife loves sports. I waited till mm-hmm. I was forty. I waited till I was forty five to get married because I'm like a twelve year old with a driver's license. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm like a man. I'm the ultimate man child. But at least I knew I was too irresponsible to have children. <laughs> and so and the joke. My mom had a great line. She passed away a couple of years ago. She had a great sense of humor, and she talks with a Long Island accent. She's like, "Oh, Michael, I never thought he'd get married. I never thought he'd find someone who loves him as much as he loves himself." <laughs> That's but uh, got a got a great wife who loves sports. Uh, she went to Pitt, and that's also for you younger listeners on the podcast. She loves golf. We love to travel. You know, I love Formula One and racing, so she loves. So it just makes it that's nice the compatibility issue. Now, real quick, you're asking about old Buckhead. Yeah, back in the day, back in the day, like oh oh two. I was working uh, for Fox Sports South, and I was in studio as an analyst. And so I would be like, like I'll do an example, a Thursday night. So like most guys on TV were wearing the suit. Now ESPN does all stand up. In the old days, you'd wear like sweats or a pair of jeans or a, you know, shorts. But you'd have your suit with like, um, like one of those like hair tie things to pull the suit tight behind you, so you look, you know, you look like you got, you look like you're in shape. Yeah. And so I would uh, one night. It was like a Thursday night. I had my sport coat on. I had jeans. Had my tie. And so I go to Buckhead. We're in Lulu's and Fox in the old days would be live at ten. And they would rebroadcast at like 12 or 1230. So I'm at the bar and this girl's like, so what's with the suit and the jeans? I go, well, I'm I'm right up there on television. <laughs> there I was over her shoulder on Fox and my boys or my buddy Johnny Plops, good wingman. He would he would break the ice. Well, yeah, maybe you see Mike. He's over there on TV. And sometimes, you know, the person would take a minute to figure out why you're standing there in person. But no, that was a great I mean, you couldn't that was impossible to screw up back in the day. It was a great setup. That's not a bad one, but the timing's got to be right. Where you have to be on TV when you put like, actually, uh, that's me right there, and or you have to you're look right. over and you're like, give me thirty seconds and come back to me. I think they're gonna come back at, to me at the break. Um, right on. That's funny. Um, yeah, Bucket is just uh, I don't know. I've uh, Bucket has not been uh, my scene. For, I think you just get phased out at a certain age. Like you don't want to be that guy at a Bucket no. Saloon at thirty eight. You don't want to be. <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah, that's got our buddy Steve owns Red Door, which is a great bar. Oh, okay. Which redone. And every now and again, maybe once every, once a quarter or maybe you know, twice a year, we'll poke in there and, and we'll be in there before the crowd rolls in. So it'll be like 10 o'clock at night. You know, mm. hey, we, time to split. We're not, it's not age appropriate because, yeah, <laughs> Atlanta's got so many great bars. But, you know, like the Highlands were a great scene, that's still right, are a great yeah. scene. Yeah. yeah. You know, I knew everybody. Dark I used to, you know, Atkins, Atkins Park, Dark Horse, Neighbors, all they that stuff. They closed the best one, though, hand in hand. Hand in hand was amazing. Yeah, that's, was my, that's was what my I spot, heard. And it closed. We used to do, I used to host for, but they just stopped it this year. But for 20 years, we did the uh, the uh, Guinness Perfect Pint Contest. And uh-huh. I used to host that and MC it with uh, with Guinness. And we'd have a ball. 
you know, I knew all those bartenders, all those guys. You know, I knew Irv from Atkins Park. Now he's over at Rathbun Steak. Mm. So, yeah, man, it's funny. You know, if you live in Atlanta, Atlanta enough, you, get, you know every bartender. That is true. And you can never know too many bartenders. That, <laughs> you got uh, that right. You got that you right. You can never know too many. Um, the most surprising thing about Carl Dukes that uh, fans of uh, Dukes and Bell would be surprised to learn. You know, that's funny because our lives are kind of an open book. They really don't really keep secrets on the show. Um, no, I mean, he, for me, I would say he really is what you know, he is, what you hear, what you get. You know, he's he's a bit larger than life guy. He's a family guy, but he's you know, he's super competitive on the golf course. He, he will, he will start better? talking some time. Uh, Carl's got I probably got better short game, but he's got he can bomb it off. the He's can bomb it off. the tee. He actually sleeps with his driver. I think he named it. But really? uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. but Carl's thing, I'll tell you this. Carl won't say much when you start off. And if he starts heating up, he was kind of like Tom Brady. In the match, if you remember Tom Brady, yes. along with Phil Mickelson against Peyton and Tiger, and Brady didn't say squat until he hit the eagle. I think it was aggregate uh, uh, birdie. But once he hit that, then he started chirping. So he's That's only a Carl. shit talker when he's actually <laughs> yes. when he's really rolling. He wants to wait to make sure that he's yes. gonna be, it's not going to come back to bite him. Yes, and then all the euphemisms about a big Johnson and the driver, all that stuff comes out. But it's it's interesting. Once, he's got to heat up first. He's got to heat up first. Interesting. Okay. Okay. What's your favorite spot in Atlanta to, to golf at? You know, it's funny. I'm like America's guest. Mm. I uh, I'm I, was I like a that comer. America's guest. <laughs> well, I was a latecomer uh, to golf. Um, I never played golf as a kid. I know in the South, a lot of guys play golf. Um, my dad was a cop, and my mom was a school teacher, so we would be like like right in the middle middle class. And if we drove by a golf course, my old man would have his Marlboro, bunch of rich pussies. That's a rich man's game, playing some golf. So I was always considered golf. And again, for the most part, it was a country club sport. I didn't get into it until uh, Tiger Woods came on the scene. And there was a guy, a great saloon keeper in Atlanta named Willie Salucci, who used to run the Palm. And he was a guy, he'd lived all over uh, the country and run these restaurants. And he was kind of like a trainer. So other guys would come in from other parts of the country to learn with Willie and then go on and get their own restaurant. So just a, a larger than life personality. Great guy. And so one day we're at the bar. He's like, so when are we going to play golf? I'm like, golf? Ugh, bunch of rich blank holes. He's like, you got to be kidding me. The next day, he takes me to Edwin Watts, gets me set up with the gear, and then we play in uh, Heritage. Hey, you play, is, have you ever swung a golf club before this? No, I mean, you know, obviously, I was I was hitting it 10 feet off the tee, and then mm. Willie would take my club and hit it backwards farther than I it hit it looks for. Yeah. so easy. It looks so simple. Right. It is not simple at all. And I've never felt more like I played basketball. I played every sport growing up. I was a coordinated kid. But like you will you um, <laughs> you are humbled very quickly playing golf. Oh, yeah. That is a very humbling oh, no. sport immediately. No, no. And I played at Naples here. I mean, Naples here. I played at, uh, at Heritage over here in Atlanta and didn't realize what a difficult course it was. So I started playing other courses. But no, I mean, we used to do this bit when I did Morning Drive on 790. We'd call it the Mike Invitational, where it'd be like, we get off the air at 10. And I would say, hey, Mike here. And uh, I'm off the air at 10. If anybody's got a tea time around 11 or noon, I'll be your fourth. And I'll provide you with quality conversation and 100% cotton T-shirt. And you pick up the booze of the round. And so people would call in and I'd make these friends and these inroads into some of these really cool country clubs around town. Oh, so it worked first, off. It, it yeah. Worked. First, this worked first guy, first guy that picked up on that was a guy who was a member at the Druid Hills country club, which is a fantastic yeah. track, which is never that busy, but I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, when I go to like Piedmont driving club or cherry, I think it's snobby. I think those places are too snooty. I don't like it. I, I'd rather play something like the frog or down at Wolf Creek. I don't, 
I don't, I just, I hate that country club attitude that it, when people put on airs and all that, it's just, eh, it's not my bag. No, I think it's also just like disingenuous. And like when we heard Justin Thomas, just, you gotta be fucking kidding me <laughs> that, right. uh, this weekend. We're like, I think that's just how it actually is. So there's like a disconnect between what people think guys sound like on the right. golf course versus what that's actually the case like there's a huge disconnect where golf has this weird like it's this holier than now we're all respectful and classy and i'm like if you've ever gone on a golf course with any group of people it doesn't sound like that they're just not picking up on it, it it's all uh it's all a ruse <laughs> no i'm with you but no i just i it's funny I, a couple of years ago when the uh, tour championship would come through i got a chance to meet uh, a bunch of the uh, irish golfers graham mcdowell and darren clark uh, one year I was up, uh, we were doing a show at the senior tour event and I got to meet um, Miguel Angel Jimenez. And I mean, I, I root for the Europeans in the Ryder Cup because they're the cool guys. They're the ones you want to have fun with. There's always a great backstory about a guy being his father was a groundskeeper or this guy worked in worked in a garage and learned to play golf. To me, there's too many guys on tour, just country club twits. So I, I Carl, Carl gets mad at me. But yeah, I, I generally I will root for the bad guys. I'll root for the Europeans in the Ryder Cup. How did you get into Formula One? Because that's a big thing for you. I don't know anyone who's into Formula One. And you're over here is like the Formula One savant. It is an acquired taste. Uh, in a nutshell, my father was a car guy. Okay. Uh, he just loved working under the hood. And uh, you know, he, w- he was a cop, so he didn't make all that much money. And then he would save up, and sometimes he would just have to work on the car. If he bought a project car, he would be in the garage, and he'd fix it up. But no, we used to go to Indy 500s. Uh, my first race – you ever seen the movie um, – the uh, the uh, what the hell was that? <laughs> the, the name really didn't have much to do with the with the film. Rush, the story of Nikki Lauda and James Hunt. Chris mm-hmm. uh, Helmsworth plays uh, this charismatic English uh, Formula One champion who's okay. the ultimate ultimate Formula One playboy. Anyway, that was the first race I went to at age eight at Watkins Glen. It was a U.S. Uh, Grand Prix with Mario Andretti and all these great names. And they, all the guys were like rock stars. So I just loved Formula One. And I turned my wife in, onto it. And so every year when, you know, pre-COVID, we'd go to places like uh, Spanish Grand Prix in Barcelona. Uh, we went to Monaco one year. We go to Canada all the time. Go to Texas for the uh, U.S. Grand Prix in Austin. It's an acquired taste. But if you love the engineering aspect of it and just the beauty of the cars and the glamour of it, it's really a blast. Interesting. Have you ever raced one? No, I've done some go karts. Mm. I've done uh, I've done some of the uh, over at um, at Road Atlanta, uh, the other version of like a like a souped up Miata. Like City, like the go karts <laughs> they have it. Like I think it's called like the Vortex at Panama City. I did a couple times. No, I did uh, I did track day at Barber years ago. Okay. Uh, Barber Motorsports over in uh, in Alabama. Um, I'm a, I'm a Corvette Cadillac guy, but yeah, I just, I love cars. Just always been a car guy, but my dad, that's where the passion came for it. And I just think if people get exposed to it, it's on ESPN these days with nothing else going on. Yeah. It's just, it's really cool. I mean, and of course, once you can go to these races and it's not, it's not cheap, don't get me wrong, but it's just, it's a blast. It really is a good time. Interesting. I, I just, I, if there was ever like the inverse or like the anti-car guy, it is a hundred percent me. Like I know nothing about cars. My dad, it's uh, he's a car guy. He just knows everything about it. My brother got the car gene. Like he's obsessed with his his Jeeps and he likes Corvettes and all that kind of stuff. Like he and my dad like have these conversations sometimes where I'm just like, right. it's another language. Or I'm just looking over and I'm like, I don't even know like sometimes how to pop my hood. Like I I'm a lost cause. Like I I was so excited when I changed my tire by myself this summer. Right. Like that was a huge deal. It felt like I just cured cancer. I was like, I did it. Like just smiling, this like 
just felt really great. I will say this. I will say this though. Jay, you'll love this years ago. And I, I've been to like probably geez going on like 18 or 19 Indy 500s in my life. But one year I, I had an endorsement with Jeep and I had this really nice uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee. Anyway, I break down right there in front of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And if ever there's a place to break down, it's in front of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That's true. It was literally like a pit stop. I had like 18 guys pushing the car off the road, get me down to like to the nearest gas station. It was a blast. But no, man, I, I love racing. The Indy, I say that to folks who've never been, uh, the Indy 500 should be on your bucket list because it really is. It's like going, it's like a, cr- a cross between like the Daytona 500 and going to Fenway or Wrigley. It's just really cool. Interesting. So, Lenny United, what happened? What happened with the end of this season? What happened just losing Joseph? How much of it was just losing Joseph? How much of it was just pity and um, just pity and Barco still not quite getting that next level? How much of it still just missing Almiron? What, how would you summarize what's happened at Lenny United over the course of the last year? Well, I mean, I don't know. Would we have fired DeBoer if we hadn't lost Miles Robinson last year? Mm. You know, I mean, you know, uh, Bert. <sighs> Burke Coulter that don't get me started, but you know, they got the guys running sprints and we lose miles for a game. We could have very easily won against Toronto. And I think any Atlanta United fan or anybody who watches it, you know, and and Alexi Lawless agree with us. We could have beaten Seattle, but you know, you got to Joseph misses a penalty. You got to be, you're not going to win, win many matches if you don't do that. But yeah, this year, I don't know. Frank style was a really kind of hard to get your head around. We've, we've asked Darren Eels about this before the initial argument for, um, I think for uh, bringing Frank DeBoer in, he was going to help with the youth development and the younger guys would be a smooth transition. And to some degree that was successful, but it just always seemed like a square peg, you know, didn't it? Yeah. It just, it just didn't, I mean, the style wise were, you know, now don't get me wrong. Tata, we think of Tata as like the Showtime Lakers, but we still got better on defense. The reason we won the finals, the reason we beat NYCFC and the Red Bulls, you know, to get to the finals in 18 is we really closed it down defensively. But there was just a beauty to the game and a style. And how much of that is just the speed of Miggy, which opens the field up that no one on this team can do what he does. You know, and Pity, I don't know, Pity takes, he takes a lot of shots. You know, it seems like he gets in his bag and how much, I mean, the, the Latin players hated Frank. Okay. We can all dance around the subject, but they kind of removed LGP. You know, you had Tito Vijalba, I love Tito, charismatic guy, but he, he wouldn't do anything. He'd give you a lot of, you know, he'd, he'd run into the corner and you'd, you wouldn't get anything last year. But the Latin flavor, I think we're trying to reestablish that. Some of these moves here in the offseason or during the uh, during the COVID shutdown. I'm not sure if Stephen Glass is going to win the job, but he did tell us on the radio, the interim coach, you know, getting back to the things that made us successful. So how much of that is just going balls to the wall? You might give up a goal on a counter. But as a fan, I mean, aesthetically, I'd rather lose a game 4-3 than one nothing. That's true. And it always just felt like, too, well, A, following Tata was just going to be a lose-lose. Like, I always feel bad for guys like that, where you're in a situation where everybody loves Tata. They're always going to prefer him. They're always going to compare him to Tata. Like, it's not an easy transition, and it's hard right. to to just follow that. And I wonder a lot of the early stuff was just like him not having like a scheme that worked. And like the whole stuff with him was like, he was versatile and he could run different kinds of schemes and that would give Eleni and I more opportunities and like, he'd be fine. Um, but look how good, look how good Miggy looks for Newcastle. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, and, and I, I just, fault. like that's not Eleni yeah. and fault. That's not his fault. He's just, he left. Like, what are you going to do? Force him to stay. You can't do it. Right. And then the same thing happened this year. We you know, especially it was really sort of crystallized in the tournament 
in Orlando, Nagby, for whatever reason, likes Columbus. Why? I don't know. Then he's got a family connection there, but Nagby didn't want to be here anymore. That's not on Darren. So you lose a guy that can help do some things, which we don't have a guy who can replicate what he does right now. Who do you think ultimately is the next manager of Atlanta United? Somebody from South America. Okay. <laughs> Somebody. I mean, we all thought it was going to be. To me, I'm not saying Darren overthought it, but I just, Frank, it just, uh, I don't know, man. It's just, uh, you know, you went from this just sort of, as we said, maybe we romanticized too much about 18, but the style of play, Frank playing behind the ball, we talked about it on the show. It just felt like constipated soccer. You know, somebody pulled the trigger. Let's take a shot. It just, yeah, it's just not the same. Frank's a really nice guy. Frank was really funny. We told him when he first came on, we said, look, Frank, we're going to be really supportive. And then, of course, we started killing him. So when we talked to him this year before the season, we're like, yeah, Frank, sorry, we we you know, we, we lied to you. We killed you. He goes, that's, he goes, that's what the media does. But uh, you know, he's, he's a good dude. He just never seemed to fit. Just never, even, even winning like the Campionas, uh, winning U.S. Open Cup. I don't know, man. It's just tough. Did and it again, you, though, I think that they actually just cleaned house the way they did right after it was over. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'll give them credit, though, because unlike so many teams in Atlanta who will stay the course and yeah, because we're really so blanks corporate, blanks a loyal dude. Yeah, we're, we're so we're so corporate here, though. It's like it's like the Braves all those years with Bobby Cox. Oh, we can't change managers. Better not do that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's results. It's, it's a zero sum game. Either you're winning a championship or you're wasting my time. You know, and I know it doesn't happen overnight, but I love the fact if they feel it's not right, rip the bandaid off. Don't monkey around with it. So, you know, I mean, and be, be man enough to admit you made a mistake. I mean, why Dan Quinn and Dimitrov are back for another year, I don't understand. I don't know what Arthur saw, you know, in beating a bunch of, you know, mediocre teams, the, <laughs> the win against the Saints. 49ers okay yippee ki where was that the first eight weeks so long again getting back to united i think it's great if you don't feel it's the right fit why waste time i do like that just rip the bandit off and a lot of people don't have the balls to do that i think it's also just because any firing or any change during the COVID era is just always gonna throw us for a loop right because it's just like everybody theoretically should be safe just because of how crazy these times are (laughs) it's just like can you really fault anyone for not playing up to par or just playing out of their minds? Like it's just, it's right. hard. It, I just, well, I mean, you don't, you don't score any goals in the, in the, in the tournament. Yeah. And then three of your best players hate the coach's guts. So that's not go. good either. Um, <laughs> so there you positive. go. Right. Um, the Falcons uniforms. Are you a fan? Kind of looks like Mean Machine, doesn't it? Like the original, and not that piece of shit movie with Adam Sandler. I'm talking the uh-huh. original, with Bert, not for the Burt Reynolds. The, the only one I'll watch the longest yard. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll have to see him. You know, I, I was hoping to see them in person. Early in the All Black looked good. I yeah. liked that. I saw a couple days ago. That I liked. Um, the, the I was the I just you know what I really terrible. wanted. You're never gonna. What I what I really wanted though, I was I was really hoping they would get back to something like '98, the yes. Super Bowl year with yes. the. Uh, I love the, love the dirty bird uniforms, love the silver britches, the black on black helmet. Don't really understand why, for some reason, that was a non-starter. Oh, you're speaking my language. Because especially when you're doing, like, they already did it a little bit anyway, because they got the, uh, that's one of their alternates, the all black right. alternate. Like, they, right. they're bringing that back a little bit. Why not just go ahead and do it? No, I love, to me, those, I think they're, I think it's a cool uniform. You know, with the big stripes down the side, the silver pants. I got here in 98. I thought, wow, we'll be we'll be going every year to the Super Bowl. That's also Mike Vick's first uniform, you know, that he got to wear. So, yeah, I, I, I like that style. I mean, I I don't know why we have to monkey around with change so much, but that is obviously the, the double reason is marketing, selling more swag. Yeah, for sure. Um, did you see Cowherd's NFC South rankings? 
Yes, I think we're uh, well. It's it's it is funny how Coward, when he is not in a market, seems to have a. Jim Rome does the same thing in in big top ten markets that they're not in. They always seem to have a some kind of a some some degree of uh, negativity. They're gonna they're gonna spew towards the teams in that market. I don't even know if it's like just the Panthers are trying to lose, and I guess he's banking on like the Miami Dolphins type thing where they just right. overperform and Teddy is super steady and they're fine and i mean they have a lot of offensive skill talent still with mccaffrey and uh dj moore and they're they're kind of loaded still offensively around those guys and if the offensive line plays better you could see it um losing key play i think is going to really hurt them uh, i'm not selling the defense we'll we'll see they just they've undergone a lot of changes and we'll we'll have to see how we'll transitions but i also just don't think they want to win this year um no i mean i just think you know everyone looks at us as you know we, we missed our window we blew it um you know that Dan Quinn's a lame duck coach. I mean, I, I get that aspect of it, but it's their window. You know, they definitely missed the best shot Atlanta is ever going to have about winning a title, like twenty three midway well, through the third quarter. Like right. you're never going to be in a better position than that ever again. Does it mean they'll never get back? No. Will they ever be well, in a better actually, position? Actually, you know what? Actually, no. Chase, yes, yeah, yeah. Actually, you don't. You never get back. That's your shot. You got. You got to grab the press. Right? God, like, I really look at the not. Saints. No, look, and I'm a, again, I'm a life. I mean, life level twenty two years of my life devoted to the Falcons, but. You get that one moment in time. You've got to grab the brass ring. You know, you do the onside kick if you're Sean Payton. You hold on to the football. You make the big bold move. You know, you do the uh, Philly the special. Yeah, he got. And then of course, look how. But look how close uh, the Saints have come in the past couple of years. Brutal. Only to fall on their face. That's why, I was, if you assume you're going to get back there, yeah. and the ultimate irony is Quinn goes with Sarkeesian, who's never run a Shanahan offense. Seventeen's defense was sublime. They had a great defense. We shut down the Rams. We held the Rams and Eagles to under four touchdowns. Think about that. But then we had Sarkeesian, who didn't know what he was doing. Our red zone was a disaster because Quinn should have just gone with Matt LaFleur. Just roll the dice. Oh, you're, you know, we're on the same page. Just letting that one get away and just not. No, I mean, down. Like, Dan, was, Quinn's, yeah. Dan Quinn's failing case is, is coaching. What has really hurt Dan is the bad coaching decisions. Bad line coaches, bad play. I mean, you, you name it. Marquand Manuel was a genius in 17. Then after 18, the phrase was he lost his compass. Quinn takes over the defense last year in such an unmitigated disaster. We got the Texans and then the Cardinals, you know, just rolling it up like it's a Madden game. And then Raheem Morris gets control and then, you know, we're back on track. So I, I just, I, I like Dan as a person. He's a great guy, but I would have moved on from him and Dimitrov because we never have the, we never have the trenches. We never get the trenches, right? We've never had a pass rush sustained offensive line, say for one or two years is patchwork. That's my beef. I just I don't understand why we stick with it, but they do. How surprised were you about Vic Beasley failing a physical in Tennessee? <laughs> I mean, you don't want to kick a guy while he's down. Vic doesn't love football. He's not passionate about football. He's just not. He, you know, and I, I thought yeah. I thought he'd be the perfect fit coming out. You know, the resume checked all the boxes back in '15 coming out of Clemson, but he just doesn't love football. He just doesn't have a passion. And then remember, Dan goes on record last year says I can fix him. Well, he didn't like that. So he didn't come to work in OTAs. So it's just, it's frustrating. Vic is like the poster child for our lack of sustained pass rush. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like my whole thing is just, they spent a lot of draft capital with Davidson and those guys um, to really get that defense into the top 10 defensive DVOA. I am cynical about that. I think the underrated part is getting Chris Richard from Dallas. 
I think that is going to be really nice for uh, Atlanta and having him with Reem Morris and also what was his name? The linebacker who was calling third downs, Nate Ulrich. Is that his name? The guy yeah, who was uh, like the third down defensive player. Yeah, caller. yeah, Jim Albright. Yeah, he yeah, was Jim uh, Albright, yeah, yeah. He, so good guy. Have, good dude. Yeah, and I it makes sense now. Like they actually have a bunch of defensive personnel that you're like, okay, I can see this. But I also just think they overthought the first round. I really did. I don't know what you thought at the moment, but the Falcons passing on CD Lamb and just saying we're going eleven personnel this season, every single snap like the Rams <laughs> did two years ago, where yeah, but here's, of their snaps were like I that. I mean, I get it. I you're get not it. Now, losing. Dude, like that's two a top ways, three offensive DVOA. Two no ways, question. but again, if you don't, but if you don't protect Ryan, what's the point? If Ryan's well, looking at the Halo board, draft picks on him. Like that's the whole like you. No, you but, this, two but, first this, but this, but this, but this, but this is the Dimitrov. Here we go again, because we win meaningless games last year, so Dan Quinn can keep his job. We then find ourselves in no man's land. In the draft, we had no one to trade up to and no one to trade down to. So we were stuck with reaching for a need at corner. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that. I mean, it's the Falcons in a nutshell. But I understand it because if you if to, to take a page from what you're saying, we win with offense and the defense yes. wins by virtue of being up by two scores so they can pin their ears back when other teams become one dimensional. Yep. But I just we had to, we had to address defense. I, I mean, to me, I would have tried to trade down. The closest they came to trading down, I think, was the Eagles, and that fell apart. So they had to go for a, a mild reach, you know, with uh, with Terrell. We'll see what he does. He's going to have to start. You can't. I know it'll be a nickel to start, but I, this guy's got to be an impact player. I I mean, a lot of rookie corners just aren't like they just don't profile well. It's a t- it's a tough position, and he's going to be asked to do a lot. And this division is going to be throwing the ball. Like I don't envy his situation with Evans and Thomas. <laughs> right. And- well, I mean, look at Lattimore. Look at Lattimore with the Saints. Yeah. That's a guy who stepped in, plugged in, boom, he's good to go. That might you know, be that's, the case. that's maybe that's what happened. You know, but I mean, I hope. I'm hoping. I love his yeah. swagger. He's a West Side Atlanta kid. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he brings it. I like. I love Marlon Davidson. They're going to plug. It. See, that's the other thing is, what is Tack going to do? You know, that's that's the defense. If the pass rush can generate some heat, you'll. Don't get you know you got me fired up now. I'm off the air. <laughs> I, you know I was in a good mood, and now you got me talking uh, about like my, what my, my, I, I was wondering <sighs> why you want to do this right after your show. It's like I don't know. What no, no, it's just walking into. No, it's just the Falcons. I can I just go through this all the time with Carl. I mean, mistake begets mistake. It's like a bad shot on a golf course. You know, you, you go far right, now you didn't make another bad shot. That's what's happened with our draft. You know, and our personnel moves drives me crazy. Yeah, I I don't know. So like, what do you? We'll end here. How would you? Uh, how would you forecast this fall? If we get 16 games, what do you think ultimately happens with the Falcons this fall? I'm going to say 10 and six wild card. Um, okay. I mean, I've got look, I've got to be optimistic. <laughs> After all those reasons I gave yeah. to you that we're not going to step up. I mean, how do you, how do you maximize uh, Todd Gurley at 85% of Todd Gurley, you know, and how, do, how does that work? Um, I, I like what they did at tight end. You know, I think you got a guy that can, you know, pr- probably do the same thing that Hooper did. But, you know, it's to me, it's the lie. Is Hennessy going to beat out the two stiffs that we uh, brought in last year at free agent? You know, you got to plug in the offensive line has got to protect Matt. Matt puts up really good numbers. You know, so, yes, sometimes it's, uh, you know, playing catch up. But I just this offensive line has got to do the job. And then we get back to your point. Offensive score, if we're scoring 28 or 31 points, going to make take a lot of pressure off the defense and make everybody look good. Ten and six would be nice. I mean, that means everybody right. I mean, that's job. like how many does he have <laughs> nah. to win? Does he have to make the playoffs to keep his job, or does he is ten? I like, think he's got to play off playoff for bust. Yeah, I think it's if it's to make the playoffs, Quinn's got to. I mean, I just can't imagine Arthur Blank, you know, rolling the dice one more year. 
you know, I, I hope the opinion Dimitrov will never be fired. So that he'll, he'll be here. It'll be Keith Richards, cockroaches, and Thomas Dimitrov when you know the Earth is nuked. I like it. I like it, Mike. We can listen to you every single day, Monday through Friday, two to seven on Nineteen on the Game. Uh, is there anything else you would like to plug before we get out of here? No, man. Appreciate you. Uh, I apologize. I couldn't get on sooner with you. No, but uh, really, uh, you do a great job. Great questions. And as you can tell, I, I you see, you didn't think I would be able to bloviate for another hour after five hours. Oh, now I know. <laughs> now I know. You could just, you're a 12 hour guy. I, I think you can keep it going all day. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm literally the Energizer Bunny. But hey, man, really appreciate the time. It was really cool talking to you. Hi, this is Chuck Dowdle of Bulldogs Roundtable, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Be sure to check out Chase's website at chasethomaspodcast.com and follow the Stone Mountain Native on Twitter and Facebook and listen to my show, Bulldog Roundtable, every Tuesday and Thursday from 9 to 9.30 on 680 The Fan. Have a great Bulldog Day, everybody. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Jonathan Taylor Thomas talks Major League Baseball edition of the podcast. People forget. John, good evening. How are you? I am doing all right. How are you doing on this fine Wednesday evening? Living fast. Uh, how is Fisher? He made an appearance on the podcast last week. Is there a weekly Fisher update that you would like to provide? Um, he is lying next to me, sleeping, occasionally rolling over so that I scratch his stomach. Mm. But hopefully no barking. Uh, well, it, it's a it's okay. He's he gets a he gets a pass. Fisher gets a pass. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a it's another week. Uh, baseball still happening. If you're not the St. Louis Cardinals, um, and if you're a Pirates fan, you're kind of happy that baseball's not happening at the moment. Um, lot of lot of cool stuff. I think we have to start off though um, with something that's not cool, and that if you're a Diamondbacks fan, you're very concerned and like. We were talking this offseason about whether or not the Braves should go after him and whether or not he would make sense because a lot of Braves fans were really into the idea of bringing in Bumgarner. His velocity was way down, and then obviously he is just now gone. Um, are you worried about that contract and uh, Madison Bumgarner's future in Arizona? Yeah. To paraphrase or I guess borrow something from, from uh, the good Reverend Lovejoy, uh, Short answer, no with a but. Long answer, yes with an if. Or maybe it's the other way around. Regardless, I'm not worried if this turns out to be just uh, some kind of injury that's just sapping his velocity or if this is just a sign, as I think has been the case for a lot of pitchers, that the ramp up for the season was just too condensed, too fast. And a lot of pitchers, because it's not just Bumgarner, a lot of pitchers don't look right. Uh, either the velocity is off. Their command is off. Their mechanics are shot. Lots of pitchers obviously have gotten hurt. I think we briefly touched on that last yeah. week. There's a great piece um, on the ringer uh, by Ben Lindbergh that everybody should check out about this. Yeah, so I, I'm willing to chalk it up to a certain degree to that and willing to give Bumgarner the benefit of the doubt insofar as, you know, maybe this is just something where he didn't get enough time in summer camp to get to get fully ramped up. He's probably, I mean, he, he went on the injured list, so he is dealing with an injury and stuff like back injuries is tricky because of the fact, you know, they obviously any injury to a pitcher has an effect on mechanics, which has an effect on velocity, but you know, that, that's, that's an easy enough thing where at the very least, it's not a shoulder injury. It's not an elbow injury. It's not, you know, it's not something related to his arm as far as we know. So that's the good sign. You know, if you want the, the, the thin 
the thin silver lining on this particularly gray cloud is that Bumgarner went on the deal with not an arm injury. But, and then this is, this is, I guess, I guess this is the longer answer. His velocity has been declining for some time now. Uh, last year, his average fast only clocked in at 91 miles an hour. And he's never been a hard thrower. Um, he topped out average velocity-wise um, roughly about 92 miles an hour back in 2014-2015. He's never been a super hard thrower. But he basically does not throw harder than 90 or 91 right now, which you can survive without that. But it's really hard. You have to have impeccable command and control in order to get by with a 90-mile-an-hour fastball nowadays, particularly when you have to do stuff like face the Dodgers or the Rockies in Coors Field or a very good Padres lineup or, you know, so on and so forth. Because I think that's the other thing, too. Is I, I haven't looked at the park projections, and I don't know them off the top of my head, but certainly it's not a stretch to say that leaving San Francisco and going to literally a park that is not San Francisco tends to have an effect. Of course, the sample size of that is tiny, and there's so many other complicating factors in trying to assess just how much moving from San Francisco to Arizona has an effect on that. But the velocity is down, and that's obviously the big one that you have to be really concerned about. The walks are up. The strikeouts are down. Uh, the strikeout rate is down. The, um, you know, the, the ground ball rate is significantly down from where it has been in the past. You know, Bumgarner, because he was never a huge velocity guy, was always kind of a, you know, strikeouts and ground balls, and he's not getting the ground balls. A lot of fly balls, tons of hard contact. Um, if you look at, I mean, just, you know, just looking at the, at the, the ground ball rate is, is, I think it's, if not the lowest of his career, then very, very close to it. Lowest of his major league career so far. And again, tiny sample size, but as with everyone else, that's all we have to work with. Um, and then you look at the expected stats through, through baseball savants, and that picture is not, not much prettier. You know, we're talking, again, the, again, the velocity is an issue, but Everything, you know, you, you know how, how, and I guess just for people who, who may not be familiar with baseball savant, they have these percentile rankings where, you know, from zero to 100%, and obviously, you know, the closer you are to 100%, the better. I mean, you are you know, obviously in the top one percentile or whatever. He's in the blue on everything, except for the spin rate on his fastball. You know, everything he's doing, this is not bad luck. And that's the other thing. You look at his batting average of balls in play, it's 250. That's not, you know, this isn't something where he's getting blooped and bleated to death. This is tons and tons of loud, hard contact. No, not missing that, not getting weak ground balls, not fooling anyone. And I mean, again, there's no way to know for sure just what this is until he comes back. And until we get to see, okay, is that velocity back? Is he getting more swings and misses? Is he getting more soft contact? Whatever. But... If that is not the case, then yes, this has a ten- this has a possibility to be an extremely bad thing for the Diamondbacks because this is not a team, I think as we've talked about before, that really ever does big contracts, mostly because they've decided they don't really care to afford big contracts, um, that Granky being the one notable and pretty um, atypical exception. And this, you know, $90 million is not an extraordinary outlay of money, but for the Diamondbacks, it's a pretty fair amount. And then the, the cascade effect of that is, okay, well, how does that affect the rest of that roster? You know, because that money, that money that now goes to Bumgarner, if this is just who he is going forward, I don't think this is necessarily who he's going to be going forward, but even if he's, even if he comes back and is better, but he's still just a, a, like a league average pitcher, you're still paying him, what, $16 million a year to do that? That's not ideal. 
because that's money that could or should be going to, I don't know, um, you know, prep preparing, well, I guess not so much kettle market because he's pretty well under control, but you know, isn't that money you would rather reinvest into say actually they're looking at their roster and saying where actually you want to reinvest it. Is that something you would want to reinvest into maybe hanging on to Starling Marte who's had a really great start to the season? Is it money you might want to put toward I know Luke Weaver's had a really bad uh, start to the year, but maybe eventually put toward a Luke Weaver deal, maybe some point in the future, toward Carson Kelly, toward that Gallon, I think is a big one, although Gallon is obviously years away from getting paid. Um, I, I guess if you're the Diamondbacks, that's kind of the one good thing is that the money Bumgarner's taking up, it's not as if it really needed to be reallocated anywhere in particular. This isn't a team that had, or has, I should say, any star young free agents who are about to hit the market. You know, Robbie Ray will be a free agent next year, but he's pitched so poorly. One, I think he was never going to stay in Arizona anyway, and two, it's the, the, the start of the season he's had pretty much guarantees it, unless they bring him back on some kind of pillow deal. Um, and Marte is signed through 2023 with a very reasonable team option for, 20, for 2020. Actually, through 2024, it's uh, two very reasonable team options for 23 and 24. And that's the guy that they really would have wanted to lock down for good is Kettle Marte, but they don't have to worry about that about that till after the 2024 season. So I guess there's there's another silver lining. That money was that money was not necessarily going to go anywhere else. But I guess on the other hand, free agency going forward, well now every year, if this is who Bumgarner is, because this is the other thing, his deal was really backloaded. I mean, obviously some of that is the, just the fact that, you know, this year is prorated, but he's owed nineteen million next year, twenty-three million in twenty twenty two, twenty-three million in twenty twenty three. And twenty and and then only fourteen million in twenty twenty four. But by twenty twenty four, he's going to be thirty four, thirty five years old. With um, he's already thrown eighteen hundred innings in the majors, assuming you know he does what he does, he'll have some twenty two hundred innings on his arm by that point. So maybe it doesn't impact who you can keep around long term, but it certainly impacts who you can bring in short term in free agency or make a trade for to pick up. And I think that's probably what hurts the Diamondbacks even more because this is one of those teams where I know they're not. You know, they're not off to a great start right now. Um, they play in a very tough division. You know, they're, they've, had, they've had their struggles, certainly. They've, they've given up a lot of runs, and they, they don't score many for whatever reason. A lot of, lot of slumps in that lineup right now. But the issue you kind of run into is this is a team that is on – I think we, we, when we previewed them, we kind of agreed that they were a dark horse team, that they're on the cusp of being a, a contender – where with we the right couple moves, and because they were, yeah, real, wow, weird. I don't, I do not want to revisit any of those predictions <laughs> at any point because it's very clear this season is just designed to break predictions. Mm. But um, I, I think it's more the issue that we kind of felt like because they have a smart front office that is proactive and you know is always trying to kind of find the the you know the most amount of value humanly possible that this is a team that with the right moves could push itself from being a 500 team into a real wild card contender. And now the problem is, okay, if Bumgarner is bad going forward and you know, you're still paying him, well now you don't have that money anymore to lure in those kind of useful mid tier free agents that the teams like the Diamondbacks kind of need to survive because you can't, you can't produce everything in house. That's not possible. Nor can you always trade for exactly the right guy. You know, Kettle Marte is obviously a great example of that, but, you know, you've got to be able to do more than that. And which is also something that is worth noting that, you know, the, the Diamondbacks have, have made their hay on a lot of like really good small free agent signings. Obviously, David, I believe David Peralta was, I mean, he was signed out of Indie Ball, so that's 
not exactly the same thing. But they still do deserve credit for doing that one. Yeah, they, yeah, that they deserve credit. Yeah. Same, same thing. Same thing for a guy like Christian Walker, who bounced mm. around a million different organizations and was plucked off of waivers, or a guy like, um, uh, excuse me, or a guy like I was gonna say, I was gonna say Nick Ahmed. Well, Nick Ahmed was a trade, but you know they 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 do well with those really small kind of around the edges free agents who they then develop into something bigger. Problem is they don't really seem to do much with those kind of mid tier free agents. And Bumgarner was kind of their biggest mid-tier free agent move in quite a while. Like, aside from Grant and Granky at the time, was I mean, he was one of the five best players on the market that winter, I believe. So, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of your problem going forward, Bumgarner. If he's if this is just he was hurt and he didn't have time to ramp up and he just needed a little time to get over a cranky back or whatever, and he comes back and he's throwing 91, but he's getting soft contact. Great, everything's fine. We'll all we'll, we'll move on going forward. But if this is a sign of real decline, that's Obviously, that's a problem for the Diamondbacks because they really needed, and that's the other thing too, they really needed a guy like Bumgarner to be able to pile up those innings for them. But also, you know, it really, that money outlaid to him really will have an impact on what they can do going forward in free agency because this is not a team that spends big, that can't really, that chooses not to spend big. This was their one big move since Granke. They really could not afford for it to blow up because that's going to strap them pretty badly going forward. What is your gut telling you? Is he back to normal next year? It's hard to say because again, like it just depends what the, the what the severity and depth of the injury is. The again, the silver lining for me is that it's his back. It's not his arm. If it were his arm, and that I'd he's be just a different someone who can say. be better with a lower velocity. Like he's not someone we're just like, oh, it's over. Sure. Like he is someone that should yeah, age well. Yeah, and the, yeah, this was not someone like say I can't even think of a off the top of my head like this is yeah this is never someone who threw 95 and all of a sudden can't crack 90 this is always a guy who's been in that 90 to 92 range with you know topping out 93 94 the only thing is he can't hit those high notes anymore and of course that that you know that lowers not only lowers your ceiling but also increases your error bars so to speak you know makes it that much harder to execute when you can't reach up for that top shelf velocity anymore so I think my gut says he'll probably be fine because, again, this is a back injury, not an arm injury. And assuming that there is no arm injury, as far as we know, I think it should be okay. And I'm willing to, 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 to give a mulligan to pretty much every pitcher this season because it's very, very clear that the summer camp ramp up just did not work for everybody. So long story short, we'll see. I am mildly optimistic, but again, it's, it's also not unheard of for pitchers to fall off a cliff once they pass 30. Yeah. And not just and and Bumgarner is relatively young for a guy who's been around as long as he has. That just means he's had a lot of innings put on his arm. He's had to do a lot of work. He is, I guess you could say, an old thirty in that regard. An old thirty, I like it. I feel like he's been thirty since he came in. Oh, maybe, by the way, he's had a very which veteran is, which is thirty year because, old vibe forever. Yeah, he's just, he's always looked like that, which is really yeah. funny considering he debuted when he was twenty. It's very strange. Like he 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 was he had barely turned twenty years old when he made his major league debut, and then yet you blink, and then all of a sudden he's a surly thirty-year-old veteran. How different he's do you already look got from now five. versus That's twenty? Crazy. Do you look like two different people? Oh boy, what's the disparity, John? When you look at a picture of the you hair, twenty, definitely, definitely lost some hair, gained some weight, mm. filled out a little bit. You know, I more still facial hair. Fox, John. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you, Chase. Um, interesting. Yeah, I look the exact same. I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you. Like, it's it's not. 
Like it's uh it's not a great thing. I mean, I still look like Topher Grace from that seventy show, I think for the most part. I don't think I've really gotten all I've gotten all that much bigger. I feel like I've just been five eleven, one thirty five for like twenty seven years. I think that's just gonna be my bread and butter. You're a, you're a hundred you're hundred and thirty five pounds. Okay. Okay, I shouldn't have told you that. I I shouldn't have told you that. Yeah. Uh, how? What do you mean? What how? Do you, what do you eat? Air? Clouds? <laughs> Are you on one of those like fasting monk diets where you just like subsist on tea? Yeah, what? it's uh, I'm on this new thing called uh, an overactive thyroid. Wow. Okay. Because it's like five eleven, one thirty five. You're basically built like a skyscraper. <laughs> Like if you ran, if you ran your height and weight through one of those like building uh-huh. model projections, like it would just show a, like a building toppling over, like when there's a breeze. You should when, see when, when there is a breeze. Does that happen? Do you kind of get carried a little bit? Uh, I do not get carried, but okay. um, I don't know. I've gotten a lot more comfortable. Like I always had like chicken legs, so I like never wore shorts other than playing basketball and stuff. I just didn't mm. like it. And uh, now I've gotten, you know what? I've owned it. I'm just embracing it. I'm going full uh, skinny British boy. That is what I'm doing. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta lean into it. Right. It's, it's too bad for you. The top shop isn't really a thing, and also the top shop was like super racist or whatever. Because yeah, you would have, they would have outfitted you perfectly. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever gain weight. I don't know if I'll ever like. I, I feel like I've missed the boat. If I was ever gonna like really add some pounds. People ask, like, what, what do you just, yeah. like, how does this work? How are you 135 your, pounds? And I'm just like, I don't, I don't really know what to tell take, you. I take, eat normally. Yeah, take it as someone who gains weight just by existing, apparently, mm. because that's just what happens when you cross 30. Um, you are lucky, at least in that regard. I guess. I guess. I don't know. It, 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 I don't know. It, it has its pluses and minuses, for sure. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr., tearing it up we weren't really talking about him like as a star coming into this year we were like he's good he's gonna be a solid player for a long time but like we i don't think you and i looked at this and thought okay there's real like superstar best player in the nl potential there and now i think it looks like it might be the case like he has it in him maybe well i think we all kind of expected that there would be a natural kind of like regression right for, for him after 2019. I mean, granted, he didn't play that much in 2019 because he got hurt. But I think there was kind of the expectation that, you know, sophomore year, so to speak, um, you know, the league is going to have more of a book on him. Like, maybe he's going to come out and play too aggressive or whatever. And, like, he is super aggressive. Like, he swings and misses, like, 30% of the time. That's a lot, you know? But it doesn't matter when your hard hit rate is 68% and your average exit velocity is 97 miles an hour. Like he, it's funny. He is what we thought Vlad Jr. was supposed to be, mm. which is, of course, not to say that Vlad Jr. can't be this. You know, it's way too early to say anything definitively about about um, either of them, really. But just on the one hand, you have Vlad Jr. hitting 110 mile an hour ground balls, and on the other hand, you have Tatis just elevating and lifting line drives everywhere. And you know, I I, I think he kind of gets obscured in that conversation. The other the other part he gets obscured in that conversation is. He, play, he plays in a division with both Cody Bellinger, the reigning NL MVP, and Mookie Betts, who is, I, I think, was probably a, a, a regular, a pretty, uh, what was I going to say, uh, a regular choice by voters for, ahead of the season for the NL MVP honors. Um, he's in the same league as Ronald Acuna. 
and Christian Yelich, who are MV- one of, of course, the, the other defending NL MVP or defending the other recent NL MVP and a guy, a guy a lot of people also pick for NL MVP honors. Uh, Bryce Harper is also in that league, and Bryce Harper is Bryce Harper. He is, you know, a, a gravitational body unto himself. And, of course, the thing is, because they came up at the same time and because they're both famous sons, he's always going to be forever linked to Vlad Jr., I think, even though they're not, you know, they're not in the same league. And I think, too, it's just hard because this is a cool, great thing about baseball, how many awesome young players there are right now. And, like, young players, you know, all under 30. And it, I think it can be hard. And, of course, then you have the, the sun that shines above them all in Mike Trout, but who is no longer, you know, all that young anyway. But... I think it can be easy sometimes for guys to get lost in that shuffle when you have all these already existing superstars, you know, who have already done these big things. And you have Tatis who's had basically half of a good season was the beneficiary of a lot of deserved prospect hype. But, you know, I think people were really waiting to see it's like, okay, can he build on that? And he has. And I think, so now you really get that sense. Like people are like, okay, now we can talk about him as being one of the best players in the national league because he can legit do it all. He's a great defender. He's a terrific base runner. He's an awesome hitter. He is a pure five-tool player. The one thing you just want to see is, is, is fewer swings and misses. But again, when the trade-off is he's hitting balls 100 miles an hour with regularity, who cares how much he swings and misses? You know, That's just going to be something that he's going to have to figure out going forward, You know how to minimize the swings and misses. That, I mean, that's, and that's part of everyone's, of every hitter's growth, is how do you minimize the swinging and missing while still keeping up the hard contact? So... I can understand why. I mean, I mean, the thing, no one came into 2019 being like Fernando Tatis. Who's that? Nobody cares. Right. You know, I, I just think it was pretty easy to overlook him in a sense, because there are so many other great young players. Once I forgot Juan Soto, I somehow always forget Juan Soto, despite the fact well, you hate he put up basically a prime. Yeah. Despite the fact he put up basically a prime Ted Williams season at age 20 last year for a world champion. Like there are so many good young players that I think it can be kind of easy for guys to fade out. And so obviously it helps that piece. He got off to such a hot start. Now people are looking at him going, oh, this dude's for real. Mm. And so we can also revisit the fact that he was traded for literally James Shields. So <laughs> like, just, just think about that alternate universe where the White Sox have Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, and Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, I mean, it's still good for them. Like, it worked out. They still got their young. Oh, and, and Yohan Moncada. Forgot about Yohan Moncada where they have basically the most toolsy super athlete team they, they, where they, where they basically assemble the equivalent of like an SEC football team. Mm. I mean, that's true. That, that's what the White Sox would have been if they'd kept hockey. It's just these all world athletes who are just tools for days. And also all of them strike out 35% of the time. That's true. But it'd be fun. It would be fun. Um, can we also talk about just how great the uniforms are now? Like what were they waiting there? Like they yes, were just waiting. Love, love like, what the were you doing? Uniforms. Yeah, the especially the Padres road uniforms. My goodness, mm. they are so great. The ones they have now, they are especially because it's not even so much that they're individually great. Like if they had just existed on their own, you'd be like, they're great uniforms. But what they replace—that horrible, boring gray blue like piece of crap, like the big S and the D that um, in San Diego that nobody. Nobody liked those jerseys. They were the Padres of jerseys. They were just kind of there and you forgot about them. You know, it, it's just, it was just one of the things like even, even leaving aside the whole bringing back the Brown thing, which is great because I, I love uniforms that, that call back to, to the team's history. Also, they're just different. And that are, 
Yeah, and and that's the thing. It's different. It's something different. So many teams just ended up on this weird, you know, black, gray, blue gradient. Yeah, for road or red, white, and blue. So, like, I was I was watching uh, randomly. I was just watching some 2013 Red Sox postseason highlights because that's how bad this Red Sox season has been. That I have tell to me more. What's going on with the Red and Sox? I was, oh, let's. <laughs> they're just awful. They're awful in a way that's not even interesting. At least other bad teams have prospects. And that's not something about prospects. But in watching those 2013 clips, because one of the clips I watched was Johnny Gomes' home run in game four of that year's World Series. Um, and they're wearing like the old, these old Red Sox road uniforms that are just awful. I don't know if you remember what they look like, but they're these basic, like, they were gray with like black, like block lettering, or no, black, like script lettering. And I think they were an attempt to call back to the old 80s uniforms they used to have. Um, but they just didn't work. They were really bland and just really boring. And, like, that's just been the thing. So it is nice to see. And, I, and this is why I also, like, why, why I don't think that the Marlins uniforms fully work. I appreciate that they wanted to do something different. I appreciate that they wanted to play with some colors and some styles that you really just don't see anymore. The cursive on the Marlins home jersey is so nice the way it's got the Miami you know the blue top I'm not crazy about it but I, I it's interesting I honestly wish they'd bring back the teal they should play in yeah, the teal more teal often and the teal, pine, the and teal the marlins are perfect yeah their uniforms did not have any problems before any of this no but like the, the, very the Miami. redesigned Miami Marlins yeah and teal is very Miami and like the redesigned Miami Marlins uniforms from from when they had that brief the Hanley Ramirez Heath Bell like orange you know that yeah, that, that thing was horrible. What I wish they would do is lean in. I wish they would follow the Heath lead mm. and start incorporating more neon and pink into it. Yes. Because that's Miami, and that's fun, and that's different, and that's interesting. You know, there's a lot of really good old uniforms out there. I really, I mean, obviously, I hate the Yankees, but, you know, you, you can't argue with that uniform and just how iconic it is. The old English D on the Tigers uniform. You know, the Royals uniform. I love all these uniforms. You know, they're all great. Um, and especially the throwback too, like the Brewers, uh, say, powder Brewers. Blue they made uniform. a lot of good adjustments. Their uniforms are a lot better now too. I really, I really like the way their uniforms look now. The the blue top with the, with the yellow lettering is yes. great. I love when they bring back the powder blues. Um, the Rangers, the Rangers powder blues don't work as well for me, but I, I like the idea there too. in the throwback style, like, I feel like if you're going to do a uniform for a baseball team, you have two choices. You can throw it back and go back to an older era the nostalgia value and also because it just looks a little different or you got to kind of get out there like the marlins did and just do something with some colors that people don't see you know get some blue in there get some get some get some uh get some light colored highlights like go nuts with it like i think one of the best things that the nba did is just have those city alternate jerseys that are all just well like the celtics one sucks but like if i were a heat fan i would never take that jersey off the, the miami vice uniform it's perfect. It's a perfect, perfect uniform. And I wish more baseball teams would do stuff like that because really like baseball could use way more color and fun and just interesting design instead of just, you know, block lettering on gray on gray jerseys. I agree. Um, John, can you tell me what has oh, let happened me, the last shout out to, Oh yeah. I also want to shout out the other, the other throwback uniform that I really, really mm-hmm. love the Oakland A's Kelly Green uniform. This is your perfect. corner. Perfect. The, o- the Kelly Green Oakland A's uniform is perfect. 
Anyway, I would agree with that. Um, John, can you tell me what has happened the last three Mondays for the Atlanta Braves? Um, Think about this for a I second. haven't watched. Your... Okay, well, I know, I know they rage quit on Mike Fultonavis, which yes. that was, was honestly weeks. kind of that was three Mondays they... ago. Yep. Okay. They, they what happened the next the Monday? Thing, like a fantasy owner does. Um, Mike Soroka blew out his Achilles. That is correct. And what happened this right. Monday? Um, was that when they sent down Sean Newcomb? Yes, because he also imploded on Monday. Three for three, not bad. Okay. Like, yeah. So that rotation's really that rotation's really a problem now, isn't it? I think. I mean, and also it doesn't help that Albie's and Acuna are now hurt. Like Albie's is yeah, that, that's really really troubling. Problem. Like the wrist stuff is just, and he was already a tr- like he's hurt and like he was not good this year and he's clearly something's wrong. He probably needs some kind of surgery or he needs some kind of long-term rehab to get right. Like it kind of reminds me of Freeman last year where it's just, he's playing through it, but like, he's clearly just not going to be. Yeah. It's, it's wrist, wrist injuries are really one of those things where it's like, that's when a hitter gets a wrist injury, you just, you, you just hold your breath. That's, yeah. you know, as a, as a, as a Red Sox fan forever scarred by the way, no Garcia Parra died because of a wrist injury. Basically. Uh, it's never a fun time. But yeah, this Braves rotation is in really bad shape. Oh boy. Bryce Wilson's back though, so things are fine. <laughs> this is not what you want. Like I know they're starting a kid today, Waskar Yinoa. Mm-hmm. Imagine was just uh, basically an opener last like, night. Yeah, it's it's pretty dire. Yeah, it, it's not great when Tuki Toussaint is, is a guy you can't kick out of your rotation despite the fact he's an ERA of almost eight. He's like the number two right now. Yeah, although he does have 23 strikeouts in 17 innings, so pros and cons. But uh, is yeah, Josh it's, Tomlin it's not a the good best starter in, in the Braves rotation out or Braves Boy. just pitching staff outside of uh, Max Fried? Well, here's my question though for the Braves. So their rotation right now is Fried, Toussaint, Kyle Wright, and then what? Bryce Wilson, I guess, is in there. Um, yeah, like what do you if you're if you're the Braves, what do you do? Because you're 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 obviously not getting Soroka back. Fulton Avis is clearly not something that they want to deal with anymore for whatever variety of reasons. Newcomb, it's just seems to be something similar where they just can't figure out. I, it just seems like at this point he is a reliever going forward, and that's that. What do you do if you're the Braves? I don't think they want to keep. You have all this young pitching depth, but it's I don't think they want to keep throwing him to the wolves like this. No, because that's not, it's just not fair to them. They're not ready. You know, you're not going to take a, you know, Ian Anderson at age 19 or whatever he is, or 21 or, you know, however old that poor kid is. Is that his name, Ian Anderson? Did I get that right? Yeah, I did. The next Um, Phillies starting pitching prospect. He's 22. You know, he's 22 and he's never pitched above, well, he pitched in AAA last year. But, you know, he had a 650, 70 RA in AAA. So, you know, yeah, this is not a situation where you want, especially if you're in a, you know, in in a division race, in a really tight division, and you have real World Series aspirations, I can imagine... Okay, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. They don't have real World World Series aspirations. They have playoff aspirations. Those are two very different things. I was was waiting for that. Yeah. Let's let's calm it down, But regardless, like, what what do you do? Because if you don't want to, if you don't want to drag out kids like Anderson, or if you don't want to leave Toussaint, I mean, I guess with Toussaint, he's 24. At a certain point, you got to kind of, like, you got to see what you got. But, you know, if those kids aren't cutting it and the kids behind them are even younger and less experienced, what do you do? Uh, nothing. 
I think there's just not a lot they can do. Like, I don't, we haven't seen anything yet. Like, who can they really go out and just trade? Like, what really kills them right now is Cole Hamels just not being right. Like, they invested a lot of money. And Dallas Keuchel's been healthy and fine. In Chicago, that is something I've thought about a lot. It's just Keuchel was steady, and I would have liked to have him back. And I think not having him and betting on Hamels over Keuchel is uh, really backfiring. Also, not yeah, having I mean, Felix I Hernandez. I never thought I would say this, but like not having Felix Hernandez really hurts him right now. Really hurts him. And then, well, this is and this is a problem too. I imagine with the idea that with the expanded playoffs, so many extra teams can get in. The deadline is in um, roughly two weeks from now. Oh wait, can he come back? The only Marquez came back. Can can Felix come back? Can they just? Yeah, I wonder. If, I wonder if Anthopolis is just hitting him up over and over again. Like, come on, man. It, it, you want to come back? Come on. Come on, we need the you. thing is, we've got we've got we've got two weeks to the deadline, and the only team you can say definitively well, I I would say two teams, but you know, definitively the one team that is completely out of it is the Pirates. You know, they're three and thirteen. Well, hold on, never hold on. Guess who's the coming other... back this week? The closer coming back is it County Kella? Yes, it is on his way back this week. The Calvary like... is here. Don't count out Pittsburgh. But like you look at, I, I by the way, looking at the NL Central standings and just seeing that the Cardinals remain stuck on five games this season. That's what I'm so saying. It's insane. In it's just ridiculous. But like, if you're, but let's say, okay, let's say you're the Braves and you know that the Pirates are out of it, so you know that they're a team you can already start engaging with to be like, hey, do you have any? You know, like, what would it take to get something off your roster? But what are you looking for there? Derek Holland and his 8.27 ERA, Stephen Brault, you know. Are you really going to like try to roll the dice on if they if the Pirates for some reason wanted to give him up? Chad Cool? I guess he There's just not a whole lot there. Alex Cobb. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the thing. Like, are, are you are you going to bug the Orioles who are weirdly in contention for Alex yeah. Cobb? Do you go bug? Do you go like you know? Do you drop a line to the Red Sox and see what Nathan Yavaldi would cost? Do you uh, no, you know? Do you try to pry free like Jeff Samarja from the Giants? Because the thing is, like, with these expanded playoffs, there are so many teams where even though they're struggling right now, like, like if you're, you know, you, like, even the, the Royals, are, I mean, the Royals are not going to make the playoffs, but they're also another team where it's like the Pirates, like, what is there to pick up off that roster? You know, there's nothing there that's going to help you all that much more. Maybe, you know, maybe just to, to stick with the Royals, you know, maybe you call the Royals and you say, what do you want for, I don't know, like Danny Duffy, you know? I would not hate and like Danny Duffy being uh, being a brave. He's, no, and he like, has like a future he is an improvement. He is an improvement over the likes of throwing out like Bryce Wilson and hoping to God he can somehow like get through a major league lineup more than two times. But he's also not much of an upgrade. He's not really because the problem with the Braves is it's not to me. It seems like and granted, like you know, you've watched more way more Braves baseball this year than I have, so you, you know better. But like the problem isn't so much isn't just the rotation depth. It's that with Soroka gone, you really just don't have that number one guy anymore, depending on how you feel about Max Freed. So ideally, you're not getting, you're not, it would be one thing if Soroka were still healthy and the back of the rotation were a disaster. Then it's much easier to go out and say, okay, fine, we go get Danny Duffy or whatever. You know, we give up two C prospects for Danny Duffy. He puts up a 450 ERA, but it's fine because it's better than having Tuki Toussaint get his brains beaten in every five days. But now without Soroka, it's like, it's almost like, what is the calculus? Do you, do you try to put together a big prospect package 
for an ace caliber starter, knowing that you're good, if you do make the playoffs and you should, because the Braves are good enough to make the playoffs, even with this rotation, that you're going to need that number one guy, you know, or at least a guy to pair with Max Reed, because who knows what else you have behind that. Or do you just kind of try to accumulate as much depth as you can? And then the problem there is there really isn't much pitching depth in the majors anymore at this point. So many teams don't have pitching. For whatever reason, there are so many teams this year that just do not have pitching. Where are you going to get it from? I feel like it almost would be easier to get an ace-level pitcher. But again, the problem you run into is with so many teams that are you know, potentially postseason qualifiable, that's actually a word, who's going to give up an ace in the next two weeks? The bad teams don't have aces. The good teams want to keep their aces. So you're really looking at a situation where if you're the Braves, are you just going to have to accept that like, your, your savior is going to have to come in the form of Jeff Samarja? It's not good. And I don't know what they do. I think they're going to yeah, stay pat. I really think they're not going to do anything crazy. I think they're going to just, I don't like, they're going to do something very small, like a Samarja type thing makes more sense to me. That that would not surprise me if they do something like that, that, um, well, I guess there's, there's the I mean, bigger question do, too, do of the given they're really happy with their starting pitching staff right now. <laughs> do you call the Indians and say, listen, we're in the state of Georgia. We don't give two shits of guys. Right. Out like, of he can come out wherever. Like who cares? Off. Yeah, we had yeah, uh, Jonas Espinosa just, just hanging here, out. Fine. Yeah, he'll be fine. <laughs> oh my God, what a what but a play! I, this is this is this is I think a bigger question too, and more general question is, if you're a team looking at this season, you have um, depending how many games you've played, you have wow, we're already at the point where there are only like 40 games left in the season for some teams. Um, you have roughly anywhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 45 games. 57 if you're the Cardinals. <laughs> but like. So, like, regardless, like, if you're looking at the season going, we only have 40-some games left, and that's if we get through this without any more outbreaks that'll cause the season to come. How comfortable do you feel trading any part of your future to try to go for it in a 50-game season where half the league is going to make the playoffs? I think it's one thing if you're the Yankees or the Dodgers or, um, I was going to say, the, or, the, or I guess the A's, who I really think are probably just going to run away with the West at this point. That like is my best prediction, like by the way, right now, I think. We're not revisiting, but me That's picking good. the uh, the A's to win the AL. Feeling good about that. That was good. Feeling I, good not, about that. that definitely not, feel so good about that one. Yeah, not feeling as great about the Indians winning the AL Central. Not as uh, not as in on that one. No, that, that doesn't. But, like, if you're, I think if you're one of those top-tier teams, you probably feel remotely comfortable because even if it is an asterisk season, you know, flags fly forever. The only worry you have is, are we actually going to get... Billy Bean does not give a fuck which... if they win the title this year and it's in this... <laughs> are you kidding? Oh, absolutely No, not. that's the thing. Like, if you told... If you told, like, every Padres fan right now, like, you guys will win the will win the World Series this year, but everyone is going to look at it as an asterisk, like, you know, not real championship, not a single one of them would care. No. Not one. They would all take that trade. But, like, the question becomes, if you're one of those kind of second-tier playoff teams... If you're a Braves, if you're the Braves, or if you're, I guess I say the Cubs, they're at eleven and three. How did that happen? Um, if you're the Braves, or if you're, say, I don't know, the Rays, or if you're, like, even further down, like the White Sox, how comfortable do you feel giving up parts of your future when your playoff stay could be all of three days, and when you might get in the playoffs anyway, given with the team you already have? How much more do you really want to improve beyond that? Which is a, a much bigger question beyond the Atlanta Braves, but I think that's probably one of the questions floating around the Braves front office right now. Our pitching sucks. 
but there aren't many good options out there and we can probably still make the playoffs even with this, the state of things as they currently are. So how much do we really want to give up to improve? So like you said, I, I agree with you. I don't really know what the Braves do. You know, that's it, a hard, that's a hard situation. They found themselves in Soroka. When it comes to like losses, the teams could least afford Soroka was like easily top five for Atlanta. I'd say number one was probably Acuna. Number two was probably Freeman. Number three was probably Albies. And then probably Soroka right behind him. Yeah, I would agree. They just could not afford that. They they could not afford that. I don't know how they fixed it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Speaking of pitching staffs in the NL East that are decimated, um, Marcus Stroman, he said, uh, I'm good. And the the Mets continues. yeah, I mean, it's it's always funny to read. Like, this is I hope this is an object permanence lesson for Brody Van Wagen, and that in the future you don't do shit like brag about having the deepest rotation rotation in the National League, only to end up with Jacob Degrom and literally a grab bag of dudes from AAA because shit happens. And like, granted, when when Brody Van Wagen said that he could not have foreseen a Noah Syndergaard blowing out his elbow. B, a global pandemic that completely fucked up the sport. C, Marcus Stroman getting hurt and then deciding because of said global pandemic that he didn't really want to hang around anymore. And D, the fact that Stephen Matz just seems to, I don't know what has happened with him, but that they just seem to have lost the plot on his development completely. But on the other hand, when you're crowing about having a deep rotation after signing literally Michael Waka and Rick Porcello, you should probably think a lot harder about saying that kind of dumb shit because that was not going to be a deep rotation. If you were counting on Michael Walker and Rick Porcello and surprise, surprise, both of those guys have been awful. And in Walker's case, as has been the case for him for the last like five years running at this point hurt. So yeah, extremely bad times for the Mets. And in a similar situation to the Braves, I have no idea what you do if you're the Mets at the very least, they still have DeGrom for what that's worth. But there's really nothing behind him. You know, they're, they're stretching out Robert Gesellman at this point. They're handing Matt the ball every fifth day, despite the fact that he has an ERA over eight. You know, although his fifth is 7.16. So clearly he's, he's run into some bad luck there. You know, Rick Porcello is exactly the guy he was last year in Boston, which is insanely hittable. You know, David Peterson is fine. He's actually been one of their saving graces that they've gotten this better than league average production out of this random, not random, but one of their better rookies. But there's just nothing really beyond that. You know, it's guys like Corey Oswalt and, and, uh, geez, I don't even know, I guess Gesellman and, you know, maybe further down, like when Tyler, uh, when Taylor, Taylor Lockett or Tyler Lockett, I can, or I am, I am Tyler Lockett, the receiver out of, uh, Seattle. Is that what my brain did? Yeah, I meant to say Walker Lockett. Um, okay. Walker Lockett, who is a former Padres draft pick. Who's is that a real Mets. person? Walker um, they Lockett? Got, yeah, they, they got him from the Indians for Kevin Plawecki uh, about a year or so ago. Walker Lockett. He's not a good pick. Oh, I did not need to know that Walker he was in the Lockett. South. I was like, okay, what southern state is he from? Walker yeah. Lockett. Okay. Walker Lockett. I'm guessing he's from Texas, given his name is Walker Lockett. Close. He Florida. is from Jacksonville. Yeah. Okay. Florida, same difference. Um, Jacksonville is South Walker Florida Lucky for people Lockett. that are not but, familiar. Jacksonville is just like North Florida yeah. and South Georgia. They're all the yeah. same. North Florida is North Florida is basically South Georgia, with the exception of 
the Gulf Coast and Pensacola, which is basically just an extension of Mississippi. Yes. Or of, um, sorry, of Alabama. So, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the thing with the Mets, that there's no, this is a team that had no internal depth. They needed all six of those guys, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, Mats, Waka, and Porcello to stay healthy and be effective for them to have any real chance this season. I think probably you go back, everyone agreed that that was going to be what the Mets kind of lived or died on was the strength of that rotation and it's staying healthy. And it didn't for a variety of reasons. And they have no internal depth. And I, this is something actually interesting. I read by, unfortunately, I can't remember the name. It's one of the Mets beats. I want to say it was Mike Puma, but I don't think that's correct. But regardless, who wrote that if you're a Mets fan, aren't you a little scared of what Brody Van Wagenen is going to do right now? I think like, I'm always the same guy he's going to do. I don't think there's a point where the Wilpons and Brody, like I'm not nervous about. Like, But if you're a Mets fan, I don't. I mean, there's also like a subtle, like behind the scenes sell going on right now. Like everything is on the table. And that's, and that's the other thing. It's like, if you're, and that was kind of the point of this column that if you're Brody Van Wagen and you are general managing for your job right yes. now, because that new ownership, whenever it takes over has no, is not beholden to you. You were hired because you're Jeff Wilpon's buddy. Did he ever run more or less? A-Rod? Like, um, no, I, okay. A-Rod was a Boris Klein all the way through, I think. Okay. But regardless, like whoever buys this team, be it Steve Cohen, be it the A-Rod consortium, be it the guys who own the, the devils or whatever the hell, you know, whoever it is, they don't owe Brody Van Wagen in anything. And they're also yeah. going to look back on the, the turn the time he's run this team, albeit the short time and gone, what have you done? You gave away one of our best prospects for a closer. We can't trust. And a 37 year old Robinson Cano. You don't seem to know how to do de- like your pitchers don't develop and always get hurt. You've made some nice minor signings like JD or acquisitions. JD Davis was obviously a really good one. I appreciate the willingness on Van Wagenen's part to go, you know what? We're not going to play service time games. If Pete Alonso and Andres Jimenez and our young guys are ready to play, then they play. And that's great. You know, that's, that's how it should be. And they're, and they've been rewarded for that amply. But at the same time, like what is there for him to point to, to say, Hey, this is, this is, this is my success story. Granted, he hasn't really had enough time to build out a farm system. I don't think. And obviously this year isn't going to help that because there is no farm system for anybody really. But he's, you have to imagine he's probably feeling the pressure to make a, not necessarily make a splash, but to do something to guarantee that this team makes the playoffs so that he can keep his job safe. And this is the same dude who pulled that Marcus Stroman trade completely out of his ass last year. That, that was out of nowhere for everybody. This is a dude who I can imagine will try to do something similar probably, unless someone has managed to sit him down and been like, this team is not good enough for you to do that kind of stuff. But if you're a Mets fan, aren't you worried that whatever whatever the future that exists with this team, you know, the top prospects they have, guys like Jimenez and, you know, further down in the system, aren't you a tiny bit worried that they're suddenly going to be sacrificed on the altar of, you know, Brody Van Wagenen desperately needs this team to make the playoffs so he can keep his job when the team gets sold? Especially because, again, there are no internal replacements for these pitching problems. They have to go do something at some point. Because the other thing is their bullpen is not good enough either to hold up under this. You know, this isn't a team like, um, what's a team with a really good bullpen right now, but a suspect rotation. Um, mm, who's the best? I'm trying to think who would, uh, oh, I know the Braves. The Bra- okay, fine. The Braves. This isn't a team like the, like, I guess like Atlanta where you can get a, where you still have a good bullpen that can at least like, you know, if your starter can get through four or five, you're in decent enough shape. 
this is a team where if your starter can't get through four or five, you're in really, really, you're for a really bad time. Yep. Cause that means a lot of like Jared Hughes and Chase and Shreve and, uh, well, I guess Paul Seawalt got removed from the roster, but regardless, like you're, you're in for the guys you don't want to see, you know, they're, I mean, obviously they're good arms in that bullpen. You have, you have Diaz when he's, when he's working, which is like 65% of the time. And you have Seth Lugo. And Drew Smith has weirdly quietly been very good. Oh, there he is. I don't even know why he's barking. I don't know what he found so interesting about whatever is outside the door right now. It's probably nothing. But, like, you're still, like, Juris Familia has been a disaster. Uh, Dellen Batances, his velocity is not where it should be. And it, I, I do worry that with Batances, he's already 32, by the way, Batances, he, he is wildly older than I would have guessed. But I do worry that the combination of the injuries he suffered last year, the advanced ramp up and just kind of overuse is pro- might have just kind of burned him out by this point. Like, there's not a lot of support bullpen-wise for a rotation that can't do its job. So, again, the same with the Braves. What do the Mets do? Except the Mets are in an even worse position because at least the Braves are a pretty good lock to make the playoffs even with their rotation issues. The Mets need some damn help because that is a really tough division. And it's a tough division full of teams that are just beyond screwed up, obviously. But, you know, no one in this division, including somehow the Marlins, is, is going to lie down and just, you know, give up. Um, which, man, the Marlins, they're, they're still doing it. I'm, I'm very proud of the Miami Marlins, even though they are also apparently deeply irresponsible and do stuff like get coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, um, proud of the Marlins. Um, do you have any, uh, speaking of just mismanaging the coronavirus, well, when you read the report of uh, Clevenger and Plesak and how one of them snuck back in, one went in, like, when you read that story, your first response was what? Because also, if anyone has not of seen course. Stephen A's but, reaction to this was with Jeff Passan today, very funny. I would highly encourage you to, to see his it, reaction. But yeah, I, I wasn't. It wasn't really surprised. This isn't fair to Mike Clevenger, but I'm not surprised that Mike Clevenger was involved because he seems like the kind of guy who who learns everything he learns off of YouTube. Um. So I'm not, and he he's he like, like obviously Joe he's, he is a. Yes, he has very strong Joe Rogan vibes. And he very clearly is a dude who is one of those own, like, I'm a free thinker. Like, I, you know, I don't follow the herd, which good sometimes, bad other. He's basically like a hippie version of Trevor Bauer. I was going to say, that's, yeah, it's the other um, way. Yeah. Which is because it makes sense because he and like, Clevenger and Bauer were like best friends on that team. So I'm not surprised that he has ended up here. I, I don't know anything about Zach Plesak, so I obviously I can't talk about what his situation is but like i'm not surprised generally that this has happened because the truth of it is like if you're going to pick one sport where these guys were not going to take it seriously enough aside from hockey it's baseball because the majority of these guys are young conservative men young conservative white men from rural areas with not a whole lot of schooling who believe they're invincible that's a recipe for fucking disaster. And like, granted, that is most professional athletes believe they are invincible. They would not be professional athletes if they didn't have that incredibly inflated sense of like indestructibility. And a lot of them are, I also not, I don't think particularly well schooled because obviously, you know, high schools and colleges, when it comes to elite athletes do not value their education. They just value what their bodies can provide for free. 
And, and of course, this isn't just to say that just because these guys grew up in, you know, the more rural conservative parts of the country that they're by default brain dead or something. But obviously, these are the parts of the country that are taking coronavirus way less seriously um, for a variety of reasons. So I'm not surprised it's come to this. Like, I wasn't surprised at all the outbreaks that happened, especially when you consider they happened in Miami and St. Louis. You know, two parts of the two states in Florida, Missouri, that have done a terrible job with this. Well, maybe not Missouri. That's not fair to Missouri. I don't actually know exactly what the numbers are in Missouri, but Florida is a, is a certified disaster. So it doesn't surprise me, but it's just, it, it's just, what's especially like upsetting about it. I know other people have pointed it out, but it's worth reiterating. Carlos Carrasco is in that Indians rotation. He is on that team. He is, he is a leukemia. He, he had leukemia. He is in remission from cancer. He is as high risk as you can imagine. And yet still, despite the fact that they have a teammate who could very well die if he catches this disease or or this this virus, if this virus infects him, I should say, they still went out and did this shit. And then especially that Clevenger had the gall to lie about it. That is, I think, the part that if I were the Indians, I would be, obviously you're not going to release Zach Plesak and Zach Clevenger, or Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger because they're both very talented and the whole goal of baseball games is winning. But boy, that really is something where I can't imagine how anyone else on that team can look at them and think anything other than you selfish, stupid bastard. Not just for what it, what it does to the team on it. Cause like these is, Lee has been great. And Clevenger is, you know, um, behind is behind Shane Bieber in terms of stuff in that rotation. Not only what it does to the team to have these guys not be able to pitch and, you know, and whatever chances it, cause every, every game counts so much now and hurt. And for whatever damage it does, the Cleveland division and, and postseason chances. Just the sheer selfishness of doing that on a team where you know there is, there is a guy who is a cancer survivor is just appalling. And I'm not surprised it happened because, again, baseball players, I did not really trust that they were going to take this too seriously for all the reasons I previously stated. And especially because since this wasn't done in a bubble environment, you know, and because MLB and its infinite wisdom decided never to create any system of like punishments or, 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 or enforcement for breaking league protocol, I guess up until this point, you know, there was always going to be that, that temptation for some guys. And there was always going to be that reality that some of them are going to take it less seriously than others. But man, it's just, it's honestly disgusting to see that happen. It's like, how can you do that? How can you do that? Forget what it, what, it, what impact it has on, on the team's chances of winning. How can you do that to your teammate and Carlos Carrasco? After all they did when he got sick, the whole, you know, I, I assume that the, you know, all the support they gave him, how they, you know, rallied around him and everything. How can you do that to him after that? You know, how can you increase his risk of literally dying just so that you can go to whatever, whatever dumb bar that probably plays wagon wheel on repeat you know, and, and drink crappy, like crappy light beer at room temperature. That's what you're going to screw it all up for. Well, That's on, what it's going to be for. <laughs> be careful, sir. This place is probably called like McGillicuddy O'Finnegan's or something. And like they do Wednesday night drink specials where it's like, like a pitcher of beer for like $8. All right. Like you and I share the Miller High Life bottle. Terrible. Love. 
And I know you're not a big. I know you've been, tried to pretend that you're a big IPA guy with your beer of the day stuff, but I like I've IPA. seen uh, I've seen some Miller High Life's in your rotation, so you got. Oh no, I, I am. I was telling some. I was telling some of this earlier. I, I drink the. I love the cheap shitty beer. Not shitty yes. beer. The cheap beers. Miller High Life, Lone Star, mm. Natty Bow. Like those. Those are my. Those are my jams, man. But like, but like at least when I go out to get a beer. I'm not putting anyone at risk necessarily, mm. or at the very least, like I'm not, I'm not screwing it up for like 25 or 24, 23 other dudes yeah. who are all counting on me, you know? And I also know that I'm doing it safely. I'm not going inside a bar. I'm wearing a face mask. I know that I have COVID antibodies. So it's, I mean, the science is still a little bit out on exactly how long those last and what they're good for. But I at least know that I am not, you know, I am not a COVID carrier. You know, I am being as safe as I can be when I do stuff like, stop by one of my local bars when I'm walking the dog and grab a drink to go, you know? And, and that's the thing. Like there's a safe way to do this. And I, I would argue, even if there is a safe way to do this, if you're on a baseball team right now, don't do it anyway. You can live without the crappy $8 beer. But, like, that's the thing. It's like, you just, you just can't do that, man. You just can't do that to your teammates. You can't do that to Carlos Carrasco. It's just beyond shitty. And so it's like, I guess that's the thing. Like if you're one of those Indian teammates, like how do you look at these guys and try and like forgive them or trust them again? Even if you are a guy on that team who also doesn't really take coronavirus seriously, if there are any other guys on that team, and I'm sure there are, even if you think like, Oh, it's not that bad. It's just a really bad flu, which no, it's not. It's really bad. Um, they, they just demonstrated they care more about their own personal entertainment than they did about the team and the dude on the team whose life could be in jeopardy because of that. And that's just like, I don't know how you go on from that. To the point where, like, I I figured Clevenger would be a trade block guy in the offseason anyway because Cleveland is legally obligated to trade at least one pitcher every offseason who's not making that much money. And it's obviously not going to be Shane Bieber. But I do wonder if this is something that now makes it more likely than not that they just dump Clevenger in the offseason. For as good as he is, a guy who does something like that and who very clearly marches to the beat of his own drum, a la Bauer. I don't really know if that's a guy that a lot of teams necessarily want to line up for. And if you're the, if you're Cleveland, and like granted, I don't think. Let me stop you right there. You know, Clevenger is uh, still pretty early. I don't give a shit if he wants to be the Braves' starting pitcher next year, and uh, the Braves can get him for a discount <laughs> price. Sign me up. Don't care. But like, he is, and this this is the other thing is at least in relative to Cleveland because they're the worst. Um, he's going to start getting expensive for them because he is going to start, you know, he's making $4 million-ish this year prorated. He's going to become arbitration eligible. He's going to be a free agent sometime. And then I think in the, after the 2022 season. So because again, because it's the Indians, the clock is ticking. And so I do wonder if this season goes to pot for them. They like, let's say they make the playoffs because they, they should. Okay, he's got two more RB years. He's a free agent after 2022. But let's say they let's say they make the playoffs this year, but they don't go anywhere. You know, they don't win they don't win the division. You know, they 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 don't get anywhere near the pennant, whatever. If you're the Indians, aren't you? You're probably already thinking about dealing Clevenger in the offseason, especially because he's 29 years old. He's he's not a young guy, relatively speaking. They're thinking about dealing. You know, he's not. You know, Bieber is. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, especially that's when you have when you demonstrated that you can. Just, when you've demonstrated also that you can just basically take any pitcher in baseball and just turn them into a Cy Young candidate because Cleveland has some weird secret pitching sauce, like that also makes it less likely that you're willing to tolerate this kind of stupidity 
from someone who is already demonstrated that stupidity is kind of their thing. So I don't know. I just wonder if this pushes Cleveland more toward trying to move Clevenger in the off season and kind of cashing in while the value is high, or at least while the theoretical value is high. Because again, like, you know, they're obviously not going to release him. They're not going to boot him out of the rotation. They need him too badly. Zach Plesak is another matter entirely. That's, the, the stupidity of that dude not realizing that he is not high enough on the food chain to get away with this kind of shit is kind of incredible. But I, I do wonder if this, if this eventually, you know, and, and who knows, I obviously don't know the inner workings of Cleveland's front office or how they feel about Mike Clevenger, but I do wonder if this is something where it, it just pushes them a little closer toward deciding this offseason he's gone. You know, we will move forward with Bieber and uh, Plesak and – Adam Plutko and whoever the hell else we can dig up and whatever we get back for Clevenger, if that's what it turns out to be. Mm. Yeah, we'll have to see, but it's a crazy story. And it, this is um, hopefully a good learning lesson uh, for all involved and uh, just guys around the league just being like, Hey, don't be dumb. And uh, don't do this. That's the kind of thing. Like, I don't, you would, you would think these are, these are the most hyper competitive weirdos in the entire world who would cut off fingers if it guaranteed them a championship you wouldn't think there wouldn't be at least one dude on every one of these teams who's basically around saying if i even get an a whiff that you like went out to a bar or something i will literally beat you to death <laughs> like every every team needs that guy right now true just that super hard ass veteran who is like do not fuck this up you know Dad do not do the cowboys today he was like, just like the healthiest teams winning the nfl he's moving to the omni hotel for training camp like he's very clearly like just the healthiest yeah. team wins yeah that's where we're at yeah and that's and that's the thing i think then that's what's true with baseball too it's just who's gonna have the most guys left standing by the end of the year because this because we live in the most unethical immoral time in human history but yeah like that's <sighs> I, I, just, I don't know how that even happens. I mean, granted, they, he snuck out, so clearly this wasn't something where he's like, he announced his intention to the clubhouse and everyone's just like, oh yeah, fine, go have, go do that, have fun. But yeah, man, I don't, I, I, I can't understand how baseball players in particular, given their insane hyper-competitive mentality, aren't doing everything in their power to avoid getting coronavirus. You know? And, and it's like, granted, it doesn't seem like Clevenger Police Act got it, but why put yourself in a situation where you increase the risk? Why do that? Why? It just makes no sense. Clearly, you it's like a, how clearly you haven't had a nice ice God cold, uh, ice cold uh, Miller High Life as of late. That's clearly what you're missing here. Ugh. It just tastes better at a bar. I, I do need to pick some up. It does taste better at a bar. We'll say in the little pony bottle and then coupe glass for sure. But I would not want to risk getting COVID for that though. Because that seems like a really bad trade-off, especially when I can go to my local supermarket and buy a six-pack of High Life for seven ninety-nine. There's no or rush. Whatever you're not breaking eight. the rules when you're doing that. There's no rush. Exactly. You never break. You're never breaking the rules when you're living the High Life. Okay. Miller, if you're listening, please send me High Life. Oh yeah, and me too. And also, if you want to sponsor the podcast, John and I can put together a jingle for you, an easy ad read. I will happily, I will happily sell out my ethics in exchange for cheap beer. Let that let that be known for the record. I think we're that if anyone here. listening would like to give me beer, I will happily promote your product. There you go. Unless it's like book or, or natty light, I'm I'm not drinking that shit. I'm not twenty anymore. You know. What about the SI uh, Lager? 
What the? What in God's name is that? I, I don't know, but like they just did the muscle milk, so maybe that's the next thing. Um, S- oh, I was gonna say, is that some like super regional like Georgia beer or something? Oh no, I meant uh, sports. What is, what, what, is the, what is the cheap? What is what is the cheap beer of choice in Georgia? Um, it's like is it just Bud and Coors and all that? No one's drinking Budweiser. Um, Budweiser is pretty uncommon. Um, the only people who drink Budweiser are alcoholics who also smoke cigarettes. Like it's uh, it's understood that if you order a Budweiser, there's going to be some Camel Blues on the on the bar top not too long after. Like those two things are the peanut butter That's and jelly. Um, I would say probably the most common cheap beer that I've seen is Bud Light. If I had to bet, it's Bud Light. That's, I mean, that's probably true across the country. Like, it's Bud Light or Miller Light or Coors Light. Coors Light's not common. The three I mean, I'm a big Coors Light guy. Don't see that very often. Uh, Miller Light's up there. Yingling's really popular. I see a lot of Yingling. Um, but that's not Which, really cheap. That's weird because Yingling has always been Yingling's always been the Pennsylvania thing. I didn't know I didn't know it actually had a, an ex, a, a base beyond, like, Yinzer country, basically. Don't see any Bush very often. Don't see Bush Light. Well, that. you never, you never really, you never really see Bush in bars because it's so cheap and shitty. No one would ever drink it on purpose, except right. for college kids and like real full blown alcoholics. Well, so, like I haven't seen Natty Light since college, so like I don't see it out yeah, in the wilderness. Like it's just gone. It's just like in this incubator where it only exists in college and high school parties. The only, yeah, the only places that sell Natty Light are supermarkets that are within two miles of a college campus right and then no one else because no everyone else understands no one else willingly wants to drink this swill well it's also just like it an is embarrassing solely look. for the purpose like yeah, you don't want to like, go to a friend's house purpose, and you're just like hey you want me to pick up some beer for our dinner party and you bring over some natty light they're like oh do you need to talk to somebody like uh, yeah, you know, that, yeah i feel like that I feel like that beer was was invented expressly for the purpose of being used in beer pong. That's its only use in this world is like slightly dirtier water that will get you kind of drunk if you drink like 15 of them. Exactly. That's the thing is like, it's a good starter, like on game day Saturdays, like when you're starting at 7.30 a.m., you don't want to go hard at 7.30. You know what? Just get some no, water. You don't, don't want to pick out the, you don't want to pick out the double hop, like no. 9% IPA when you're standing in a parking lot, you know, next to a hibachi, like, you know, like yelling at, yelling at some, uh, yelling at an Alabama fan about some shit. Yeah. You're not doing a shower beer with double IPAs. Like you're not doing that. (laughs) Natty light is for the shower. Yeah. I I assume that's your future, by the way, if the SEC does play football this year, socially distant (laughs) tailgate where you're just screaming expletives at like whatever poor Alabama retirees of like RV'd up to, to Knoxville just to watch, you know, to watch the to watch you Alabama. Know, I hadn't considered that. Like because people are going to travel. I didn't consider that that even if they don't have fans, because the SEC is happening. Like they're going on. Like they, it means more, my man. No, um, of course, like I know this has drifted very far from baseball talk, but like literally, of course, the SEC and the Big Twelve are the conferences that are like, of course, we're going to play. What are you talking about? Yeah, they're pushing through. Like I, it was not all surprising. And what I had heard behind the scenes is like they're they're going to keep pushing. Like Georgia high school football is happening. Like that was announced two weeks. Ago. They've been practicing in pads as of late. Like if they're doing high school football, my whole thing, I'm like, mm, I would be shocked. I, I think they're they're gonna do it unless they're really really forced not to. Um, but also like tailgating, I don't know how this is gonna work. But you have me curious, like if people are gonna travel, even if they can't get into the games, are they just gonna go to Knoxville to just like go to bars and like I, I don't know. 
this is gonna be interesting. I have no idea what that's gonna be like. Is there gonna be some crazy horrifying? There's some poor Padres fan listening to this going, when are they (laughs) gonna talk about Tatis again? What the hell is Alabama? I don't care. (laughs) Well to be fair, I think there's a bigger listener base for Alabama fans versus uh Fernando Tatis and Padre fans. Like I think Alabama. Oh yeah, I'm sure if you I'm sure if you do uh, an SEC preview podcast eventually, if the SEC does go forward with it, and whoever you get on to talk about Bama football, uh, I'm sure there'll be a wide audience of folks who want to yell about the time. time? Football. Oh, you say it kind of Southern. The truth is, like, anytime I talk about anything Southern, because, like, it's not the same. Like, I grew up in Western Maryland, so, like, sometimes Mm. a little bit of an accent tends to come out, because Western Maryland is basically the South. It, it's like it's joined at the hip to West Virginia, so it's not quite the size. I thought it's not, I mean, it, John it, it, Taylor, it the country the boy. Maryland. You learn something new it every week. You think you know a guy? Maryland is south of the Mason Dixon, but it's not the South, and that it's not the South. You know, Crab it's just cakes and football. Just, that's what John Taylor does. I do like crab cakes. I will say that, but who doesn't like crab cakes? I've that's never had a crazy not to like I've crab cakes. You've never had a crab cake? No. No wonder you're 135 pounds. You gotta, gotta, gotta get some crab cakes on that frame. I think there's a lot of reasons. I don't think the reason I'm 135 pounds is strictly because of my crab cake diet or lack thereof. Don't knock it until you try it. Just you know, go on, go on out there. Get yourself a get yourself a crab cake at a nice not a crab guy Knoxville area seafood joint. Yeah, I was gonna say noted. Uh, well, honestly, there's a Tennessee River. So noted there is seafood, seafood destination, Tennessee, <laughs> with all those all that beachfront property they have people forget uh noted beachfront hotbed knoxville tennessee yeah but uh yeah i mean it'll be interesting and also horrifying to see is how college football progresses now that that's a thing but hey baseball is still going and they're going to keep trying because why not i guess it just seems to be kind of mlb's default like way of doing it is just this whole season just feels like one big hey why not and then we keep getting reminded this is why not because you know people are getting sick but hey that's i guess we'll just see john taylor always a pleasure sir thank you this is a very uplifting this is a very uplifting note to end on i know i I mean it's just the way it is it's reality we're we're honest in this podcast we we don't uh sugarcoat stuff this is just where we're at and uh, we'd like to not feel this 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 is where you get the real where you get the truth yes truth uh hashtag truth um go check it out um john we'll be back next week as always stay safe my man and uh talk soon This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.